Hello and welcome to Final Games, the podcast about the games that inspired. This is episode six, and can you believe it? We're still going. The podcast has begun picking up quite some momentum, so I would like to once again thank everyone who's listened to Final Games so far, all the awesome people who have tweeted out that they're listening and enjoying. I really, really appreciate it, and I hope you all continue to listen in the future. My guest today is quite incredibly a fan of the show, and his episode in line with last week's episode has turned this into the PC Gamer Block. He is the head honcho, chief editor extraordinaire of PC Gamer Magazine, and is the man you all have to thank for PC Gamer being in store shelves every month. He got his start in the industry working as a staff writer at Play Magazine, a PlayStation-centric magazine based in the UK. From there, he progressed to become a senior staff writer before moving on to the fanboy enemy, X360 Magazine where he became the games editor for a short stint before moving on to become features editor and then deputy editor of the science fiction and horror-based magazine Sci-Fi Now. Seemingly not a person to get too emotionally involved in a project, he then moved to back to Play Magazine, but this time as deputy editor, where before too long he was on the move again and was given his first role in charge of a magazine at the excellent Games DM. His talent as an editor saw him switch from Imagine Publishing, where he'd spent nearly seven years, to Future Publishing, where he became the editor of PC Gamer. Since he took up his watch as the editor, PC Gamer has gone on to win a GMA award in 2015, winning the best print team category, beating out publications such as Edge, Official PlayStation Magazine, and Games Master. He is the big boss himself, Mr. Samuel Roberts. Hello, Sam! Hey, Liam. That's uh, quite an introduction. And, uh, <laughs> I particularly like the comment about my lack of commitment to uh, to projects. That was uh, that's spot on. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to ask you about that actually. Well, first we'll start about how you started in the industry. But one of the things I really did want to ask you was: uh, Do you like multiple projects or being in different places? Because you have gone from many many places in quite a short time. Well, do you know, it, it, all of those um, those kind of reshuffles were done by uh, Imagine, the company I worked for at the time, rather than uh, ah. being things that I, that I asked asked for specifically. Ah, okay. Um, so, so while they were all really good opportunities, um, there was yeah, it wasn't actually uh, always my choice. So uh, that's it's just it may seem that way when you look at my LinkedIn page, but like it's uh, it, it, I, I really did enjoy working on all of those things. Mm. It's just that. Um, yeah, sometimes there's Imagine used to reshuffle uh, creatives quite a lot just to keep magazines fresh and stuff. So, ah, so well, a little, little bit, little bit different to other places, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I take back what, the emotional commitment thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, not at all. Um, it's Imagine's it's, fault. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. It, it was really good though because I've, uh, I've, I've always had like quite a broad range of uh, interesting games. Like, I've never really been aligned to to one format. Um, as a kid i had like i didn't really have a console till the ps2 came out okay. uh, so i was a i was a big pc gamer when i was younger and then um kind of got into consoles uh as a teenager and then got back into um pc a little bit later and uh yeah and i've always had like uh every console i've got i've got six consoles at my tv everything from like a wii u to a massive pc and uh <laughs> yeah it's just I, I wouldn't live any other way you know i don't want to miss out on anything a man after my own heart <laughs> Well, it's good. I think I, I think if I ever have uh, women here again, I'm going to have to like move two of them just to look like a normal person. But yeah, <laughs> I make my girlfriend deal with it. <laughs> well, that's fair enough. <laughs> so what I really wanted to know, as you are the editor of one of the UK's biggest gaming magazines, I wanted to know what your like your normal day to day is. What what is like a typical day for you as the editor of PC Gamer? 
Well, there's so, there's so much stuff that I uh, that I'm involved with. Like I, I I basically I'm there to kind of always keep the wheels turning on making a magazine. So making sure that like certain pages are always coming in, so yeah. the rest of my staff have things to do. Um, and that while and while I'm doing that, I usually have like one writing project on the side. Um, I write a bit less than the rest of the team, um, but I'll I'll do things like uh, commissioning reviews, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and just just making sure that things um, happen on time, like. Uh, I work with Andy uh, Kelly, like you mentioned, and um, you know he's he he writes a lot more than I do, and he's very very good. And uh, I, I'm kind of mainly there just to make everything, all the pieces come together. I guess it's uh, which is a weird way to describe an editor role, but um, yeah, I'll work on things like the the cover, the cover lines, and uh, working with my designer on what features look like and stuff like that. So yeah, it's a really really cool uh, creative job, you know. And I get to work with a lot of decent people, so it's, it's cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. I was going to ask. PC Gamer is like an extremely well-established publication and it just continues, it seems in the past couple of years to get even bigger and more, especially with the E3 show you had last year. What is it you think about PC Gamer that makes it special in comparison to like other video game centered publications? Well, like, um, I honestly think that PC gaming audiences were a bit underserved by like bigger websites for many, many years. Um, So like uh, you, you will see PC games covered on the likes of IGN and GameSpot, but it's not, that it's not their territory in the way that uh console games are okay um and so we obviously got pcgamer.com which is this website that's turned into a you know a huge thing like i think it was november we had 10 million um people visit that month which oh wow was, yeah that's which is bigger than a lot of like what you you know uh what you'd consider big sites already um so it's just grown and grown like that's about that's basically doubled in like two years um and i think it's a combination of having like a great url uh you know pcgamer.com is just spot on really yeah and then um but then also like we've just worked really hard to build that website into a into a you know into a huge deal and the number one destination for people who care about pc gaming so um yeah it's it's uh it's 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 fortunate like the like the e3 thing like you mentioned like um again no one was doing a pc conference at, uh, at e3 so our american team were like um you know we're going to do this ourselves and we'll, we'll build this uh you know we'll build this from scratch and you know, I, I worked on it a little bit with them as well, and it was uh, it was a massive success. So we're going to do it again this year, which is really cool. Fantastic. So is that how uh, things like you've got PC Gamer Weekend coming up soon, or Weekender? What's the, what's yeah. that all about? That's our first uh, consumer show. Um, so we've got like uh, hands on with you know Total War, Warhammer, and Dark Souls, but also I've been working on some stage stuff where we've got the developers developers like Firaxis coming over, um, a whole whole bunch of people from Paradox star citizen it's uh and uh io interactive as well we announced this week and we've got a few more to come so it's really like uh you know a pc centric uh consumer event for people in london yeah oh that sounds good that sounds really good it's a shame i'm not in england to be able to come <laughs> no worries man i really felt sorry for you when you were talking uh about the shovel knight amiibo and uh how much you wanted that and oh how it's if, still if you want me to, if you want me to buy you one in case they run out i can always like send it to you when you get back or something <laughs> oh that would be that would be immense i will i will secretly talk to you later <laughs> <laughs> no I was, genu- I was genuinely worried when i heard that I thought no oh. he can't he- that man can't live without that amiibo. So. Oh God! It's like uh, yesterday, um, Kez McDonald, the wonderful editor of Kotaku UK, was talking about amiibos, and um, she was asking whether she should fall down the rabbit hole. And uh, I was quick, quick to warn her not to, <laughs> as you do get <laughs> you do get sucked in um, by amiibos, and I am. Um, it kills me every time I see a picture of the uh, shovel knight amiibo on Twitter. <laughs> 
Uh, that's fair enough, man. Um, but uh, yeah, like um, the cool thing about PC Gamer, like you mentioned, is mm. just getting to work on all of this different stuff. And yeah. like, um, it's changed a lot from when I first started in, in the industry. Like I, I, be, I began when I was like 18, just working as a staff writer on the magazine. And then mm. nine years later, it's, or eight years later, nine. Yes, yeah, nine. Jesus, that's scary. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Almost 10 years uh, getting there. Yeah, I've got like grey hair now. And when oh, I started, no. I, looked like a, I looked like a toddler. Like the before <laughs> and after is quite shocking. Um, but no, it was, uh, it, it's, it's been great. Like, uh, I don't know what I'd be doing if I wasn't uh, writing about games for a living. Like, I've got, a, I've got an insatiable love for video games. Well, I've I was going to say, actually, people. I was really going to say, um, one of the things that has given me, not a comfort, well, kind of like a comfort, but since I've got to know you and uh, I follow you on Twitter, my thoughts about the, you know, the staff behind PC Gamer with Andy and yourself, you truly are people who love video games. And you are, I see tweets in the morning here in Japan that, that are like three o'clock in the morning and you're still there playing the Hitman beta or you're, you're like trying to figure something out in like Max Payne or you're going back and playing old games. You, you do tweet a lot about video games and you're always playing and it does warm my heart a little and I will admit. Oh, that's nice. I, I do talk such shit on Twitter, so uh, apologies for that. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's the funny thing about Andy is I think that uh, maybe some people, based on um, you know, like the internet, might not understand how warmly he loves video games. Mm-hmm. But like that's what everyone on PC Gamer is like. Like um, almost every games journalist I've ever worked with actually is no one's really that cynical about them. Like um, the people are there because they they just love them so much. And, yeah. You know, obviously we work on PC Gamer, but I, I play, I try and play everything. Like, uh, I've got a Wii U, I've played, um, you know, I've, I've got Xenoblade Chronicles X, I'm going to try and start today. And, okay. uh, you know, but I'm going to probably going to play four more hours of that Hitman beta, like you say. Like, uh, yeah, yeah we'd do it for the love for sure. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. I, I do see you all posting on Twitter often about all the things you're playing and it's it's very good, very good. That's what I do like to see. And that's what this podcast is all about video games. Yeah. So, We're going to move on to your first video game and we're going to listen to some pretty fantastic music to kick things off. So let's take a listen. Okay, Sam, so your first game of your eight in your deserted place is Final Fantasy X. The developed and published by Square RPG that was originally released in 2001 in Japan. It eventually released a year later in Europe in May 24th, 2002, and since has had a HD remaster for the PS3, PS4, and the Vita. Why Final Fantasy X, Sam? Why? 
Well, I uh, it was the first Final Fantasy game I ever played. Actually, like um, like I, like I mentioned, like I don't, I didn't have uh, a console really until the PS2 came out. So I missed out on seven and okay. eight to a large degree. I watched him make play seven a little bit, but um, ten was my first one. I remember seeing it on the front cover of official PlayStation Two magazine. It was like this giant picture of uh, Yuna's face. Yuna being the uh, summoner, one of the main characters in the game. Um, who controls all of the uh, the traditional summons you know from the series like Ifrit and Bahama and uh, mm-hmm. and so on and um, yeah I just uh, I just really like the sound of what it was like and I'd never seen a game that looked like it either like um, Final Fantasy X I mean the series post six uh, post five I'd say like um, kind of threw off the sort of medieval RPG thing and just suddenly started exploring all these different uh, you know visual possibilities yep. so you had more of a sci-fi leaning in seven. And eight had a really interesting kind of European flavor to it, but like um, ten was like this this tropical world where there weren't really many built up locations anymore because this giant uh, force, this biblical force called Sin, had been you know wipes out any area that had, becomes too concentrated with people. So um, it just really appealed to me, and I got I got into it massively. So when I was like fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, I I think I played the game like four hundred hours over three playthroughs. Wow. Um, yeah, and like uh, I, I really do think it's great. Like it's uh, for sure, it's got some shortcomings. Like everyone talks about the voice acting, and particularly that laughing scene. <laughs> well, I was between, going to ask um... <laughs> quite embarrassingly. I wondered if you could give me your best Titus laugh impression. <laughs> uh, oh god, no! I, not at this time of the morning, unfortunately. <laughs> 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 there you go. That's as good as I can do. Thank you very much. Um, but... <laughs> I, it's funny because I interviewed the um, the voice actor who played uh, Tidus, um James Arnold Taylor, who is yeah. really good, and like um, he played Obi Wan Kenobi in that Clone Wars cartoon series. So it's not oh, that really? he, yeah, I love that, that show. He did a... I really love that show. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's him, and he plays Ratchet and Ratchet and Clank as well. Um, but like he's uh, he was, I, I told him I played Final Fantasy X for four hundred hours. He went, "God bless you," which I thought was great. <laughs> but then he told me he basically had a phone book and was sat in like a recording booth without much direction for like hours and hours, not playing against other voice actors. And I think it really, it really shows in ten. Like, um, there's some individual okay bits of voice acting, but so much corny bullshit, and it just yeah. doesn't feel that like it's been authored that well. And yeah. like, uh, I, I completely agree that's a shortcoming of the game. But like, um. I still think I still really like the story in 10. Um, I know people talk about it's a giant, you know, space time traveling whale thing. And like, uh, <laughs> it makes no sense. But it's really it's really quite uh, quite a devastating attack on organized religion, that game. Yeah. Um, at the center of the story, you have Yevon, this church who uh, who basically preaches not to not to do certain things, to behave in a certain way. And if we do that and atone for our sins, then sin, this biblical force will go away. But that's not actually true, and it turns out that the uh, spoiler alert that the the Yevon itself was building sin as a basically as a means of control for the people, mm-hmm. um, and so it's about how religion takes our free will away. And uh, that, uh, that when you're like fourteen or fifteen, and you you know you think you're you know you think you're like young philosopher or whatever, you, that's uh, that's that's quite appealing. But I, I do think the game was quite good at that. And uh, even if you put all that to one side, it's got a wonderful combat system and this brilliant progression system the sphere grid that yeah. um that will let you play for hours and hours and like out of every game in the series i think you could, this is the one you could just keep playing and playing and if you're on a desert island then you want you want one you can just come back to and um 
there's a lot of end game stuff to ff10 i'm not sure if you're aware of that stuff uh, i'm quite well versed in 10 uh personally and also i have a group of friends i have three friends who i used to work with at rockstar who are fanatics about 10 specifically so i do know quite about uh, a lot about the end game yeah so you've got these dark aeons um mm-hmm. which are basically super bosses and they're they're kind of like um poisoned version of all your summons in the game yeah they're like the weapons in final fantasy 7 for anyone who doesn't know yeah for sure and i didn't didn't even realize till recently that they weren't in the original american release of 10 um they were just in the european version oh really i did not know that yeah and then in the international uh, re-release in japan but like um yeah it it it, you know that they uh they added so much to the game because you suddenly couldn't go back to certain areas because these you know these horrific versions of uh, (laughs) all of your allies would be there to kill you um and so kind of like unpicking them was offers like the game a really long tail and um yeah and when you when you first come across those creatures like it's uh like the um the weapons in uh in 10 uh, sorry in 7 it's genuinely quite disconcerting um and uh, yeah, there's this, there's also Blitzball in it, which is I was, like... I was going to mention, if you're stuck on a deserted island, you want a game that has this huge RPG and this fantastic story and all these endgame things, you also have Blitzball. Yes, exactly. And like, that's basically, uh, I guess people always call it water polo, but I don't really know what that is. So I just call it underwater football, basically, because um, I understand that. And uh, <laughs> there's, there's I, I, think, I think that was just the best mini game they ever did, like... Um, because you can play in leagues and stuff, and you start yeah. badly. But it was then... so fleshed out. It was really had a depth to it. It wasn't just like a side project that one developer started doing inside of the game. It was something that, as a team, they worked to build on, and really, really had some depth to it. Yeah, for sure. And and the other the other cool thing is when when you're exploring the world, if you want to recruit new players, the players are literally out there in the world, and you have to go up to them in person and recruit them. Um, and I thought that was always such a cool touch, and. Um, and players from other sides, their contracts would expire and you could go and sign their strikers and stuff. And <laughs> it's there's a really exciting kind of management element to that where you, mm. you could just keep playing that again and again. And um, and I, I have played uh, 10 consistently over many years. I, ju- I just completed it again two weeks ago. And it's still, a, I played it on the PS4, the PS4 remaster. Yeah. And uh, hopefully it comes to PC at some point too. But like it was uh, just, uh, it, still, it still just holds up for me, voice acting aside. Like it's, it's an absolutely beautiful looking game. It is gorgeous. Um, yeah, it's that thing that um, I think Andy mentioned on his episode where, like, good art direction will always uh, triumph over the latest flashy tech at the time. Like, mm-hmm. it, it it all comes down to, you know, what the uh, what the concept uh, artist put from pen to paper, and uh, in ten it makes a huge difference. I've never played a game that looks like that, and it's just a, a wonderful world to step into. Okay, then. So after ten came ten two. What were your thoughts on ten two then, in comparison to how good ten was? Oh, I hated ten two. <laughs> <laughs> I knew for some reason I knew you'd say that. <laughs> I, I, I sort of like. I think it was just a really missed opportunity. Like, um, I think that they have this really sober story where you're playing as this male character, and then you're, you've got this like. But the the real star of it is Yuna, who's this. Yeah. Um, who who her story in the in the first game is having this um, sort of uh, crisis of faith where she thinks one thing about the church and then learns a lot over time, becomes a fugitive to them. And then like, but ultimately, you know, keeps her resolve and Mm -hmm. saves the world. And then she's just sort of running around in hot pants, doing pop music stuff in the second one. Like (laughs) I I will say that doesn't necessarily mean she's not kind of like an empowered character, but I just sort of didn't find it that exciting a development though. I do like the idea that 
when the the major religion's gone, the world becomes super liberated, and that's the way it sort of expresses itself. It's more yeah. the kind of cornball anime stuff that I just couldn't stand, like the massage mini game, the really goofy villains. Like that's <laughs> what I couldn't get on board with. What did you think of Tenzu? I liked the combat, not so much anything else. It's a game yeah. where if you're going to play for hours and hours, at least it has a good combat system, and it was different from Ten. Mm. But as you said, it's a bit too anime fan service, and especially like for as goofy as Ten could be, especially the voice acting and that kind of thing. It was a, uh, it had this you know sobering story about religion and you know in the end like death and all this kind of thing and then ten two was just like ah fuck that <laughs> let's sing about yeah. pop and let's just go on an adventure and have some fun it was it was kind of a stark contrast in comparison to ten yeah i i suffered through it because i really wanted to know what happened to um Tidus, the main mm-hmm. character yeah um but like uh it wasn't worth it and you had to like get (laughs) i think a 99 percent complete rating to even see the ending where tedis comes back um and like that was just not worth it and this these are the days before youtube so that was deeply frustrating but um (laughs) i think i ended up using like an action replay to force 99 percent and then go to the last bit and so i could see the ending but um yeah i just oh i don't know that was actually one of my great disappointments it was the first game i ever pre-ordered final fantasy 10 2 oh uh, uh, yeah i can imagine i can just picture oh god (laughs) a sequel to 10 oh 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 oh. (laughs) but you know the thing i really hated is i really really hated what they did with brother um who is uh yuna's cousin and the first game in the first game he's just sort of like one of your uh you know he you, you think he's one of your enemies and then he turns out to be one of your friends and that there's just a nice little mini arc that plays out there mm-hmm. um where he he sort of have this has this mini bond with uh Tidus, the main character over the fact that you know they're saving the world together yeah and then and then and he's just perving over his cousin in the next one like you know he's just sort of like there's all these bits where he's just really awkwardly perving over her yeah. and like i really thought they just let the characters down like massively and um yeah, but to be honest, I was like 15 and taking it way too seriously. So um, it was probably <laughs> a problem with me rather than the game, you know. So no going back to play 10-2 Remaster then? No, I, I played the first bit and I was like, uh, and it's it's just, I just can't, I can't stomach it. And I hated all of the whole a thousand years ago romance stuff that goes on as well. When you have all those, you have those characters that look like Tidus and Yuna, but are not them. Like that's got a really oh, kind right. of like... Cool- yeah. cornball-y anime feel to it that I just mm. don't like and uh, yeah it's just oh, it's just a bit too romantic but, but yeah like I say I do like the idea that the world is now super liberated and um, I liked catching up with old characters like it was nice to see I think the Waka and Lulu stuff where you go and see what they're doing on their on their on Besaid Island mm-hmm. um, Lulu's apparently heavily pregnant but Square Enix just didn't make a new model for her so she looks exactly the same as she does in 10 there's <laughs> a problem with recycled assets in that game for sure yeah um but uh, no, yeah, I like that that idea, and th- th- I think a sequel to um, a Final Fantasy game can be really well done. You mentioned um, Crisis Core, yeah, uh, Final Fantasy VII, which Andy hasn't played, um, but I've I've played that about three times, and I think that's a brilliant game. Yeah, it's an absolutely uh, with, superb game. Yeah, with probably the best story in any Final Fantasy game too, actually. Um, Definitely really the saddest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was uh, the ending's very brutal, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I, I just thought I just thought Ten Two was one of those all time missed opportunities. Um, mm-hmm. Like I love Ten so much, but like I say, I was just a bit too emotionally invested in it at the time. So, 
you know, more for me. And uh, the lesson was to never pre-order and always read the reviews. So yeah. I vowed from that day on that I'd, I'd never lead our readers astray. I'd always, you know, <laughs> I would help the general public make their buying decisions. So, so because you played Final Fantasy X and it was the first Final Fantasy you played, did you go b- and you enjoyed it? So did you go back and play earlier Final Fantasy? Like, did you go play seven or like six? Some of the heavy hitters in the franchise, did you go back and play them? Yeah, like I've, I've played almost all of them now. Like I went from oh, 10 to 8. Awesome. Yeah. I went from 10 to 8, and then um, I thought 8 was just amazing, like a properly brilliant game. Um, like, even though the, the last disc is a bit disappointing with all the time compression stuff, and you can't mm. go back to all the towns in the world, Yeah, um, it, has a, it has a great combat system, um, and uh, I, I love the characters too. I thought that was a really cool game. And then, uh, yeah, I played 7 after that. And um, it's funny because Andy mentioned this as well, but like um, people talk about Final Fantasy 7 aging, but... I played it in 2003 when it already looked old hat. Like those character models already looked like, yeah. why, why did they look like they'd been built out of Lego bricks? But, <laughs> um, but it, it was still held up so well. Like it, that seven's probably the best paced of all of the games. Like um, disc three in that game, I think it's the end of disc two into disc three in that game is absolutely nuts. You go from like being in a submarine to the weapon coming out of the sea and the dune and cannon being strapped to the middle of Midgar. It's, you know, proper like operatic amazing end of the world thriller and um and then yeah and then i went and played uh six after that which was the, my first 2d one and that's yeah. that's brilliant too that's um, my favorite the, that's my favorite ah, just the, the opening to that game where yeah. you've got the walkers in the snow mm, in the like snow, uh, yeah. oh, oh so good so so good the music the best, in that game's the best villain in uh, in the series in my opinion too. yeah kefka so good because it's sort of roughly based on the Joker, right? Which is one of the mm. best villains of, uh, in all fiction, anyway. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and I, I, I love the series. Honestly, I've played, I played four after that. I thought that was really cool. That was that's like really the birth good. Of the... Did you play the PSP uh, release version of that game? Yeah, I played. Actually, I think I played the um, the PS. Maybe I emulated the SNES version on my PC first. Oh, okay. um, yeah. But then I got the uh, I got the complete version on PSP too. That is a really yeah. nice port, actually. Yeah, it is um, really good. Really good. Disappointingly, the one they put on PC was the uh, the DS one. The, the, the slightly yeah, the slightly three yeah. D remake one. They did it for three as well and it didn't work uh, out yeah. very well. Oh uh, yeah, I played almost all of that three remake actually. Yeah, um, yeah, because no, there was nothing. Uh, there was no other Final Fantasy games on DS at the time, so I think oh. I just bought it by default. But uh, that's not very good. But um, hmm. twelve, I like too. I've not, I know I didn't get into in the quite the same way, but I'm I'm, I'm giving it another go at the I moment. I think twelve's uh, okay uh, if you play the international version. Because that has the Zodiac job system, which is adds a whole new element to the game, which is very different to the actual original European release. Yeah, the, the problem with that though is that apparently it doesn't have the voice acting in it, and the voice acting is actually really good in Twelve because um, it's um, it's the Japanese version, right? So yeah. you actually just have Japanese voice acting, like, mm-hmm. and they re- they really nailed the voice acting in that one. Like the difference between that and uh, and Ten is extraordinary. Like the guy who plays Balthier is just really really good, and. Um, yeah, yeah, I know. It's uh, the whole series is brilliant. Like, I never got into the MMO stuff, but like, uh, I, people lose faith in Final Fantasy. But like, I, I think it's awesome. I think uh, Square Enix has never done wrong by me, as far as I'm concerned. It's one of those things that is always aesthetically pleasing, and the music is always pleasing, and you, you have so many memories of the times you've played it that you can always forgive it for its flaws sometimes because it is a series that in recent times, apart from the MMO, because the MMO has been a huge success and it has a big, big fan base. Um, it's kind of missed and dropped the ball on numerous occasions recently. And it is like, people are almost 
oh, I don't know. They're wary of what will happen with 15 and the, the 7 HD remake and all these kind of things. So, Yeah, I, I thought that the 15 demo was amazing. Like, uh, I played that for hours and hours. And yeah. Uh, if, if, yeah, if the full game is more of that, then I'm, I'm with a more developed combat system and progression. I, and better I frame thought it was rate. great. Yeah, yeah. the frame I, rate was I, absolutely poor in that, unfortunately. But they so they they'd improve that a bit with uh, subsequent patches and stuff and okay. like uh, it's quite I haven't cool played it since uh, the Type O uh, release, which was a game I actually really enjoyed. I really enjoyed Type O. Yeah, I, c- I couldn't get into that unfortunately. Like oh, uh, I, I really just like that. Yeah, I, that, the, I actually really enjoyed it. Well, it was um, it was it was there was some really nice sort of. Uh, I thought the combat system was cool. It reminded me of Crisis mm. Core, but made it yeah. into like a team thing. Um, but it was I, w- I was a bit sad that the towns all look the same. Like uh, that made me a bit sad. I was like, oh, yeah, well, I, I it, like places having an identity. Yeah, and, it's only just yeah. because it was ripped straight from the PSP with some HD textures. Yeah. So unfortunately, um, in typical Japanese fashion, there wasn't much added to it. It was more just ripped out and made to look pretty and sent on its way. Yeah. But um, no, I think Final Fantasy's uh, it's always been okay by me. Like I, I okay. thirteen, I was up and down on, but like. Even the worst games in the series are only really like five or six out of ten. Like, uh, there's nothing truly atrocious apart from maybe Dirge of Cerberus, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, he had his but... piece to say about Dirge of Cerberus last week. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been a staff writer on a PlayStation magazine, and I know what it's like to be assigned uh, those games. It's like, oh, and then, uh, <laughs> but then if, if occasionally you get a really good one, and it's like, okay, this is, uh, you know, this is a good job. But um, it was, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I think 10. I don't know if 10 is necessarily the best one, but I think it's the one you can play the most with the monster arena stuff and mm. Blitzball and the, um, the dark islands. I think that's enough to stop me from going insane on a, on an Island. And the fact I've played it for so much over the, over the 13 years since it was released just shows that it's probably the right game for me to take to the Island with me. Okay. Speaking of Island last week, Andy Kelly, uh, your colleague at PC gaming, he decided that he would be stranded on the ship from, alien isolation with no aliens i thought this was a really cool idea and we spoke and i want to continue this so you actually have a place you would like to be stranded on as well so would you like to explain where you would like to be stranded and why yes i've picked um Koholit island from Link's awakening on the game boy which is the um the first zelda game i played and my probably my favorite one by default uh just ahead of wind waker and i picked there because it's quite a nice island and like uh you, there's uh, i know there's coconuts there and bananas so that's good um and like <laughs> a whole I, lot of I, monsters as well though that's true and and also a very um a very spooky uh prophetic owl um which will probably <laughs> frighten the shit out of me but um <laughs> no, nonetheless he can keep me company with the absence of people um yeah. assuming that marion and Taryn can't be there um no. which no uh, no humans yeah. You, you yeah animals are okay animals are okay as long as they can't yeah. talk yeah, so I'll just go plug my, um, you know, my consoles or whatever into uh, go to Marin's house and put, set my uh, my game up there, and um, I don't know. I'll just every now and then I'll just go to the top of uh, Mount Kaholet and just poke the windfish egg I was gonna and see say, if it yeah, does anything. Go, go wake up the windfish. Yeah, I can go collect some instruments if I get bored. You know, yeah, get a true, violin yeah. or a trumpet or whatever. <laughs> so uh, I'll have that to do. You can uh, play. <laughs> you can be your own video game yeah yeah for sure but that's yeah that is a game that is a game about washing up on a desert island isn't it, is. it? so i thought yeah. that, i thought that'd be an appropriate choice um wow. yeah very but, good uh, very I, good okay yeah. so we have spoken enough about final fantasy so we're going to move on to a completely different series and we're going to listen to some music now 
Okay, Sam. The next game on your list is a real-time strategy title that was developed by Westwood Studios. It was published and released by Virgin Interactive for PC in 1996, and it was released on PlayStation 1 a year later in 1997. It is Command & Conquer Red Alert, one of the most famous strategy games out there. Why, Sam, is Command & Conquer Red Alert on your list? Well, like, uh, I uh, I absolutely adore Red Alert. I, think it's, I still think it's the best Command & Conquer they, they did. Um, Generals is probably a more refined game that came a little bit later, but yeah. um, but but Red Alert has got the the batshit alternate history timeline stuff and the most... <laughs> with uh, Einstein killing Hitler. Yeah, yes, that's right, and uh, <laughs> really were kind of like corny actors playing like um, Stalin in the FMVs and stuff, and yeah. like uh, and I I I I really like all that, and um, the units in the game are just like really crazy, like. Um, you have like Tanya, who can just uh, just a woman in a tank top who just goes around instantly shooting uh, units down and then blowing up buildings. Um, you've got mammoth tanks, which uh, the Soviets have these enormous uh, things that just uh, you know, just if you send ten of them to a base, they'll just wipe it out. And chrono tanks that can jump to the other side of the map via teleportation. You've got nukes. It's um, it's really crazy. And like um, the Red Alert series, the second one's really good too, but the first one's got the best skirmish mode in the series where you can just you can just start a new game with a bunch of ai and then you can just play it and play it and play it um and different things will happen each time um and uh, red alert 2 has a skirmish mode but it's not quite as exciting and i i've it's, it's another example of a game that i've played consistently for almost 20 years now um i play it every single year red alert and uh, i just wrote about it recently in pc gamer and I couldn't, I couldn't live without it because I know I, it, it would just be a good go-to game. And, you know, sometimes, if you're going to be like Desert Island, sometimes you just need to watch a whole, like, city of fuckers get destroyed. Like, uh, <laughs> uh, that's, you know, and that, Red Alert provides that. It's, um, yeah, it's still one of my favourite strategy games. Like, uh, it's it's definitely, you know, aged in some ways, but it's 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 a pixel art game and the pixels, pixel art still looks really good. And uh, I'd still recommend it to anyone for sure. Because you grew up playing PC games and strategy games being a big part of like PC gaming history, is like strategy games. Uh, are you a big fan of strategy games like StarCraft and Command and Conquer and that kind of thing? Yeah, like StarCraft, I missed actually, but like um, Age of Empires, I got massively into at about the okay. same time. That's a great series. Um, uh, that's kind of like a, I guess a combination between like the Civ style turn based yeah. game with with a bit more kind of like uh, management of resources yeah. mixed with the you know military stuff. But like um, yeah, no, I think it's a great genre. Like it's a bit underserved on PC these days. Like it's fell out of fashion a bit because I think MOBAs have kind of taken its place in terms of popularity. There's definitely been a hybrid this MOBA like genre that's come through that is a hybrid of strategy and turn-based and uh action games at the same time that has yeah. just like you know grown immensely in popularity yeah but you know there's still there's still people out there making them like um the uh, relic um like dawn of war one two they're just really really good games mm-hmm. um and like uh you, you can still find them for sure but like it's just uh there's just yeah there's just less of them now but like it, it also means the genre hasn't progressed that much so in picking Red Alert, I'm basically just picking one of the best still because it's not like RPGs uh, or first-person shooter games where they've become mega refined over the years. Yeah. The the things that define real-time strategy have largely stayed the same since the genre's inception. Um, so yeah, like, I, Red Alert has also got like a map editor, yeah, um, 
so I can kind of, kind of create those. Like, I don't know how much experience you have with real-time strategy um, games, but like... Um... With StarCraft, quite a lot, but Red Alert is something I've always... It's a game I played with friends at their house. I never actually owned a copy myself. I think I played... Is it Tiberian Wars? Yeah, maybe. Tiberian Sun, maybe? Oh, Tiberian Sun, yes. Uh, I played that, um, but I, I don't have too much experience with Red Alert itself. I I remember oh. I remember going on a YouTube binge once and watching all the FMVs with like Tim Curry and all the the later releases that had people like Tim Curry and Gemma Atherton and those yeah. people in it. Yeah, like um, it, it got really really silly because um, <laughs> as they got more money, they I remember for the, one of the Red Alert expansions they did Ric Flair fighting a bear and it was called Flair versus Bear. And it would just be <laughs> it would just be a sequence where Ric Flair was there and then a bear would just come and punch him. And then it would go red alert uprising out now or whatever. And I was like, this is this is so such a weird end point for all of those strange cutscenes in the first game. But um, this isn't what the Allied forces fought for against the Soviet Union. <laughs> the, I think EA did an okay job with the um the their their command and conquer sequels because they shut down Westwood when yeah. they bought them, which uh, which was just you know a terrible decision. Um, but like uh, yeah, their, their games were okay, but. I don't think that anyone will ever make a game like Red Alert again. Um, it's just uh, it's just such a special one-off, and like um, yeah, the, just the kind of colourful units in the game. It's just so much fun um, building like an allied cruiser, sending a fleet of allied cruisers to an enemy base, and just like lobbing explosives at them from across the map. It's um, a real-time strategy game. Gives you a sort of like catharsis that you don't quite get from any other type of game watching buildings and like units get leveled completely by your arsenal of crazy armory is always satisfying yeah it's got lovely silly sound effects in it like really kind of like uh dumb voice acting so for the spy character in the game who can steal money or technology from other um other sides he just does a really bad sean connery impression on my way for king and country all this sort of stuff <laughs> and like um I love that about it. It's got it's got so much personality, you know, whether by accident or not. I'm yeah. sure they were trying to get corny themselves, but like, um, it's got such a specific tone, and like, uh, yeah, I, I adore it. And um, yeah, there's with the skirmish mode, there's plenty to do, but there's also two expansions and um, and already two massive campaigns, and there's even the secret ants missions le- levels where um, these giant ants uh, that fire flames uh, come and attack your base, and you have to go and hunt the nest down and fight the queen and it's uh it's like it's a it's a thing that was hidden in morse code in the menu but um no people way. worked out yeah people worked out how you get it you have to click on you have to hit control click on a certain part of the menu screen and then like this fmv starts with a giant ant and it goes it came from red alert and it was <laughs> i i just thought like something like that you these days you'd have to pay for like an add-on like that you know yeah. like um but uh back then that's just a thing they put in the game i just thought that was really cool but yeah, it sounds um, like the Starship Troopers secret red alert level. <laughs> sounds very yeah, Starship Troopers. Yeah, it's a, it is a like a lot like that actually. And um yeah, no, it's uh what a cool game, honestly. Well, I could just I could just keep playing it. Like uh yeah, there's there's no shortage of things to do and um yeah, I, I'm sure I could play it forever on the island. I was going to say it definitely sounds like a good game to have on an island with the replayability that it offers. Yeah, for sure. Like, um, I, I really sort of like debated whether I take like a Civ game or whatever, but Civ just a bit too peaceful. Like, I so, yeah, like I say, you just need to see some fuckers blow up, and like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Red Alert certainly offers that. And um, yeah, yeah, I'd uh, if 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 people were listening have never played it, I think it's uh, I think it might have been free on um, uh, Origin. Of, of, uh, I think it was recently. last last year. 
I remember every time I would open Origin, there would be a advert for a Command & Conquer game. I'm not sure. I'm, I don't know if it was Red Alert, but there was a Command & Conquer game that was offered for free last year, that's for sure. Yeah, and if not, it's there's like a uh, there's like a complete collection that uh, you can buy a code for from like Amazon for nine quid, and I bought one when drunk quite recently, and it turned out <laughs> to be a good decision. And if nice. not, I think Red Alert's uh, if, I think it's freeware anyway, so you can just download it from a whole bunch of different places on the internet, so uh, without it being illegal. So yeah, get on that if you've never played it for sure. Okay, awesome. Well, speaking of peaceful, <laughs> we're going to move on to your next game. So we're going to listen to some music. Okay, Sam, so your next game takes tanks and Russia and allied forces and throws them out the window and instead replaces them with balls and monkeys. Super yes. Monkey Ball Deluxe is the next game on your list and it was developed by Sega's in-house development team, Amusement Vision, and it was released for the PS2 and the Xbox in March 2005. It was the fourth entry in the Super Monkey Ball series and it was the first not to be featured on the GameCube. It contained all 114 levels from Super Monkey Ball 1 and all 149 levels from Super, Super Monkey Ball 2 as well as 47 new levels. So, Sam, why Super Monkey Ball Deluxe? Well, it's funny because th- this is my version of the Tetris uh, entry that people always have on the um, on their lists. Okay. Because uh, like, I thought about long and hard about Tetris and, and realized I've not played it for 12 years. So I think I can probably go the rest of my life on a desert island without playing it again. Yeah. Um, and that, But then I thought Super Monkey Ball uh, Deluxe was a re-release that that I could just that had so many different things to do in it. Like um like you say, you've got all the levels from the first game and the second game. This yeah. uh like this kind of like puzzle platformer where you're tilting the environments to try and collect um, you know, bananas and reach the end. These kind of mazes. And and, and that alone is fantastic for sure. Um and I'm sure I get plenty out of just playing that and uh, trying to beat my own scores. But like uh the the real uh like appeal of Monkey Ball Deluxe was all the party games in it. Um oh, okay. I'm not I'm not sure if you remember those, but like uh, Monkey Target, I think was the most uh, the most liked example where you would like go off this ramp um, and then you'd hit a button and your ball would open and turn into like a glider and you'd have to go across the sea to this like almost like a dartboard target range with these like clearly mark demarcated score um, yeah. things and then like hit A at the right moment to land on a score and then like. Uh, and then you know you, you do you do that three or four times and you'd build up a a complete score. Did you ever play that mini game? I don't. I the Super Monkey Ball I played because I kind of missed Super Monkey Ball when it was out on the GameCube and the PS2. Uh, the mm. Super Monkey Ball I got into was the one that was released uh, around the Wii's original launch. Yeah. So uh, I, 
I don't know too much about Super Monkey Ball apart from I always say this. I always bring it up the speed running because I'm fascinated with speed running and people who speed run Super Monkey Ball. It's just absolutely crazy. And I keep I keep wanting to play and try it, but I don't know too much about the series to be honest. Well, like it's uh, it's it's a, that the core game of it is probably like uh, an eight out of ten sort of like puzzle platformer. Like it's um it's it's really it's really good, but I don't think people talk about it with the same sort of like uh, you know esteem that they do for a Mario game or whatever. Like yeah. it's uh, it's a fun arcade style game, but like um all the party games make it super worthwhile because in deluxe you've got the monkey target game I mentioned, but you've also got like a version of tennis which is called monkey T- monkey tennis. You know, like in Alan Partridge, which is weird that was actually a thing that was made <laughs> there's um there's a version of monkey there's football there's um racing there's fighting which is a bit like the um fighting is a bit like the uh mario part party mini game where you you're all on top of the balls and have to ram each oh, other you're trying off. to knock people off the platform yeah, yeah and there's uh... like a dog fighting game as well there's bowling like um I, any one of those games i think i could just play for tens of hours so you get a lot of value out of taking Super Monkey Ball Deluxe with you. You like, uh, yeah. There's there's a there's a lot in it for sure. Yeah, um, yeah and it, it's one of those games where like those classic Sega games where actually just controlling a character in a 3D space feels really good. Like um, it just feels really light but precise at the same time. And uh, yeah, and it's just a, it's just a, a pleasant game as well. Like um, just really stupid monkey characters and you know in these brightly uh, coloured environments and. Uh, yeah, just uh, just so so appealing, like um, really great. Like the, the problem is they just released too many of them. So I hear the Wii one and any that they did after Deluxe were just a little bit like a little bit of a write off. I assume you had to use the tilt controls. In yeah, the, the Wii um... one was based around using the tilt controller, uh, the Wii Motion controller to like bump, like shake it to like make the ball bounce and all that kind of thing. And it was a bit odd. Yeah, yeah, and um, I actually met the creator of Super Monkey Ball as well. Um, Toshihiro Nagoshi, mm-hmm. who also works on the Yakuza series, I believe. Oh God, I love the Yakuza series. Absolutely, yeah, and like adore uh, that series. And I, I met him, and then <laughs> during our interview, he um, he was reading a magazine upside down, and then just refused to answer any of our questions. <laughs> 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 and like, all the questions were perfectly reasonable. Um, like I was just asking him, like you know, uh, what do you think of? Uh, I think it was it was for Yakuza Two coming out in the. Uh, in the west and i just said like what do you think of uh how do you think players will react um to uh you know finally getting this uh this this game but now without the uh the the english voice acting uh, i phrased it better than that but yeah. um <laughs> uh, but uh, like you know because it was it was more true to the essence of what the uh the game is because it just yeah. had the original voice acting with subtitles like all yeah. the games in the series have had now yeah and the first one's got really bad voice acting from um it really yeah. does yeah and so and he just, uh, yeah, he just didn't answer. He didn't answer any questions apart from from uh, one uh, Russian female games journalist. He answered her questions, and then we just left. And <laughs> I was just fuming and quite disappointed because I thought, ah, <laughs> oh, this man who's worked on so many great games, he's, uh, you know, e- extremely rude. But you know, that's um, that's just he's part quite of his the persona, he's quite the strangely dressed man as well, isn't he? He is very neat and tidy, and he 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 always looks very stylish, very almost japanese host like yes um and i think that was like a transformation he had because he i think he used to just look like uh you know like a game developer like you know just a guy in a shirt but like he something just happened when he started working on yakuza where i think he just i don't know he just had to build a persona for himself that yeah, was because uh... he definitely looks like he could fit in the series 
Like in yeah, Japan, sure. actually, recently, um, the first Yakuza game got a re-release, uh, like a complete remake. It's called Kiwa- uh, Kim- Kiwami. Kiwami? I think I'm saying that right. But it's it's adverts for it are everywhere. But he advertises the game on TV himself. Wow, so, that's so it's weird. It's him as a developer. It's like, imagine if you're watching a Metal Gear advert and you had Kojima explaining the game, and which it doesn't seem far-fetched because Kojima is the series, but you wouldn't have him on TV in part of the advert, but he is actually re- advertising the re-release of the first game. Wow. Good for him. You know, he's, he's obviously very successful and he's made some cool stuff. I think he mm. did binary domain as well. Was that yeah, one he of did. his? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've not played that, too. but everyone says that's very, very good. But um, yeah, it was just uh, it was a, it was a weird experience meeting the creator of super monkey ball, but mm. oh, he's being a bit of a dick today. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> I've just flown halfway around the world, but whatever. Um, it was okay. I met the guys who made Valkyria Chronicles the same day and they were much nicer, so it's all good. Which um, is also a fantastic Sega game too. Which also yeah. release had a re-release in Japan this week as well. A HD. Oh, right, cool. Yeah. Yeah, it came out, it came out on PC last year and did like way better than anyone was thinking. Yeah, it, would, it did. I, think. And, yeah. Um, I bought a copy. Which is, <laughs> it's nice to see because I remember at the time everyone being like, all the reviewers being like, this is a really cool strategy game, but it's just not going to find an audience on exclusively on PS3 at a time when PS3 wasn't doing that well. And like, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's nice that it's been sort of salvaged. But um, I don't know. I don't think they need to make any more Monkey Ball games. I think that that, that series is just like, it, it was... All, deluxe was like a compilation package and and it's all there um all the monkey ball i ever need is right there and um yeah, yeah like i say like I, i'm not taking like fifa or pro evolution soccer or whatever but i'll take football with me i'm not taking smash court tennis but i'll take monkey tennis um so uh, it's got versions of all those games in it as well as the actual game itself which i think makes it like a spot-on choice for a desert island yeah but um that could just be madness speaking but like uh it did it definitely ha- definitely had a cult audience but i think oh it was it, i don't even think it had a cult audience it had quite a popular audience because it actually received the xbox platinum status and it received the playstation 2's greatest hits award which must mean it must have sold over a certain amount to get to that status with both companies yeah. so there was definitely people who bought the game that's for sure yeah and like the um and the gamecube game was uh <laughs> i think it was really it was a launch title the first one mm-hmm. um uh one of the three in japan and uh and america and then like when it came over here it was out too so i think it's sort of like i, I remember everyone was sort of talking about luigi's mansion and um rogue leader but that was yeah. uh that was one that got a lot of attention too and yeah. uh I, I remember waiting years and years because I never had a GameCube thinking, when it finally comes out on a console I own, um, that's happening. And then uh, <laughs> I got it. I got it when I was in college for like three quid, like the Woolworths was having a closing down sale. And like, oh, um, yeah. Yeah, I got it for three pounds. And I was like, this is uh, that's so worth so much more than that. Like, uh, it's one of those <laughs> games where you just think, I, I, should, I, I would pay more. I'd go back to the creators and give them more money because it's so, so good. <laughs> And I, I I even played it like two weeks ago when a friend came down. Like those party games really are that good. So yeah, um, yeah it would have to make my list for sure. Oh, fantastic! I want I want to come around and we can play some we can play some Super Monkey Ball. That sounds really good to me. Yeah, for sure. And I'll give you your shovel knight and me bow. Yay! Well, there'll be a day soon when the uh, Super Monkey Ball Deluxe Deluxe Wii U version comes out, and there'll be uh, there'll be some amiibos for that, no doubt. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the next game is a completely different game once again, and one very personal to me. So I'm looking forward to hearing what you say about this game. Hopefully good things. So let's listen to some music. Music 
Okay, Sam, you are the first person to have chosen this game for the list so far on the podcast. It's the open-world action-based juggernaut developed by Rockstar Games. That is Grand Theft Auto V. It was really yes. uh, it was originally released for PS3 and Xbox 360 in September of 2013, and it followed later with a PS4 and Xbox One port in 2014, and a PC version came a little bit later. It's the first in the series to feature multiple protagonists, and it reviewed incredibly well, and is one of the highest-selling video games of all time, with over 60 million copies sold worldwide. Sam, please tell me why the game I spent many a year working on is on your list. I uh, I absolutely uh, adore Rockstar's games. Um, I'm a I'm I'm sadly uh, quite a fanboy of of the games they make. Um, like uh, they're not always kind of perfect, but their open world games are just the level of detail in them is just staggering. Um, they're like stepping into another world, unlike anything else. Like yeah. uh, it's I went to LA recently, uh, like two weeks ago actually, and like I was there for a week and. G two five captures everything about that city, like the sprawl, the like, um, the, even like the, the color of the sun. Like, there's such a dry, flat heat there, yeah. um, and the game just captures that perfectly. And I, I was walking on um, uh, Santa Monica Beach, and I just, uh, you know, it just felt exactly like the game. And I was like, "How the hell they managed to to build this <laughs> is just beyond me." It's really funny um, you say this actually, because I've never been to California myself, but I remember when i was working at rockstar and we were working on gta 5 i remember watching californication the series with david duchovny um and the intro is like it has lots and lots of montages of california and various landmarks in california and i just recognized every single one of them <laughs> and yeah, i've never yeah. even been to california it's, it's things like when you drive when you drive into lax or away from it like you just it it's just instantly exactly like it and like it's it's you know it's just so so cool and um and la is like not my favorite american city but like uh gta 5's version of it's just so so vibrant so exciting and even if you don't like the city part of it there's just so much else uh, so much else going on within the world yeah um and i, I really debated which rockstar games to take with me i knew i'd have to take one um and the uh, the one that got closest was red dead redemption yeah uh on released on 360 and ps3 but um, there's just more to do in GTA V. The world's a lot bigger. Like um, Red Dead's sort of like uh, it's got a brilliant main story with a, a wonderful protagonist in John Marston, mm-hmm. and I think that story is better than the story in Five for sure. Um, but uh, you can't nick a jet from a military base and then just um, you know take off with tanks firing at you and stuff. And you know if there's there's a like a there's a a big end game to GTA and Five, and that you can collect all of those packages and make unlock the UFOs and stuff. And I've never done that, and um, that would be a that would definitely be a cool thing to do on the on the desert island. But I know I can just play it endlessly. And um, yeah, while I'd be sad to never see you know the end of Red Dead story again yeah. uh, on my desert island, like uh, I don't know, like when you when you when you're in that situation, what you need is to feel like you're part of a a real world and. Mm particularly the next gen versions of gta 5 this you know there's there's no better recreation of a a real life place than that so it'd almost be as good as living in the city itself um (laughs) i probably i probably always have it on so i felt like i was there you know i just had the city sounds in the background just the sounds uh, of like people swearing and (laughs) cursing as they walk past (laughs) um it it gets you all of the music in that game as well like um that's very you know 
and which is actually um, one of the other reasons I picked uh, Final Fantasy X because that's got like a theater mode in it where you can just listen to the entire soundtrack. So ah. um, that was that was another part of my end game here. I thought I'll take this and I get access to Pure Shores by All Saints. You know, I get the Time Is Now by Maloko, and um, that will that will help me keep madness uh, at bay while I'm on the island. Um, <laughs> can just see you but... dancing to Maloko on the beach. My time is now. <laughs> <laughs> well, the uh, the owl is there prophesizing uh, from this, uh, this very bizarre situation I've created. Um, yeah, this but... does sound like the weirdest. Uh, Weirdest island <laughs> situation we've had so far, and we had a guy on a ship in space with aliens last week. Yeah, that was uh, that was the most Andy Kelly choice he could possibly have made <laughs> from uh, everything I know about him. But like, um, yeah, like uh, I, I, I honestly, I don't know how Rockstar. Well, I, I do know how they build those games. They hire a lot of people, um, and it's a it's an immense operation over many years to to build a game that detailed. But I see I see developers like Ubisoft building these open worlds that don't that have no no real life to them in the same way and like rockstar do it in such a specific way and i i'm sure it takes so much work to build them um so much money so many uh so many man hours but like my god the results are unlike anything else they are just so so good at it like um everything from like la noirs la like even though that's not really an open world game in the same way like um just the detail in it like it's mm-hmm. uh they just build places in, in in such a convincing way um i've never interviewed rockstar but the the houses would be uh, high on my list of dream interviewees for sure. They're, oh. uh, I'd be very, very interested to speak to them. Um, interesting, interesting. Did you what play? Was it like uh, say, say again. Sorry. I'd say, what was it like to work on that game for like, um, you know, for many years? Like, what was it like to have that in your as part of your life while uh, you know no one else knew what it was about? Uh, it was pretty incredible um, to be able to know in the back of my mind I'm working on a game that so many millions of people would love to even know about let alone mm. play um but yeah other than that i think uh i think i can see the sniper the sniper red dot on my forehead if i said any more <laughs> oh yeah sure of course um, yeah. rockstar as we all know are a very secretive company and they like to withhold all information and make sure nothing which I... ever gets said which is creates this almost unique mystery about the company and what draws a lot of people to them and their games yeah. I think it's a part of their appeal for sure. Um, you know, then you don't know, you don't know how games are made there in quite the same way as you do at other studios. And like, uh, uh, and that, and that's very exciting. And, and they, even though there's a lot of people working on them, they still feel like, um, like a few people at the very top have made uh, a lot of the key creative decisions to make those games feel so sort of like um, precise. And uh, yeah, particularly with like Red Dead story, like that just feels so, so crafted by a specific set of people. Um and like when you play a Ubisoft game, you get these kind of like nothing protagonists in these generic stories. And I think Rockstar are capable of much more than that. And uh, I really can't wait to see what they make next. Um, they're just going to get better and better, I'm sure. Fantastic. Did you play the GTA Online? Uh, how did you find that? I really like it, actually. I've I've done the first round of heist missions. But I'm assuming that I don't have the online mode while I'm on the island. Um, uh, but, well, uh... technically, Andy managed to choose EVE Online last week. So... For the purposes of your island, you can have an internet connection to play online games because you okay. do have three other games on this that list that have better advantages if there is an internet connection yes. added. So uh, yeah. we'll allow it, but you are unable to contact any human being via these connections and they are for the sole purpose of playing games. 
okay good that's for that's that's fine like i was going to save my one online game for like for another entry in my list but like if i get that too that's great but like um the 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 heist strand in in gta online is just so so good like uh one of the best multiplayer experiences i've ever had where everyone gets assigned these different jobs in the midst of a mission and watching it all come together at the end truly one of the best things i've ever been a you know been a part of in a game like um just this uh, i was i was the guy who in the first heist you basically these guys raid this prison yeah. get onto an airplane and take off um to make a getaway and then I, there's like one guy who's in a helicopter a military helicopter shooting down military jets that keep spawning and coming towards you yep and then like um i got to play that guy but didn't realize it until uh you know the very last bit of the the level and i, I was like i was just in a helicopter defending my pals and then like um just as they were taking off in the plane and like the engine was like kind of conking out um, and loads of police cars were swarming in suddenly like three helicopters arrived. There was just uh they took a screenshot of it, just a moment where like a police helicopter goes up in smoke where I just arrive and, and save the day. And it was um, <laughs> oh, truly so, so good. And like um, if there was any disappointment I have with um, GTA five, it's that they didn't make any uh, DLC packs for it in the way that they did for GTA four. Like, um, I thought Ballad of Gay Tony and uh, particularly Lost and Damned were just brilliant, like alternate sort of like views of that city. Yeah. Um, and I would love to have seen what they could have done with um, GTA Five. Maybe they will still, but like um, it's been, you know, coming up to three years since release, so I think it's unlikely. But um, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm oh. glad you enjoyed the online. That was very a very big part of my life for a long time. So I'm very glad you enjoyed the online. <laughs> no, it's cool. It's, it offers just so much um, degree for self expression. And like, um, if I ever got like truly bored on that island, I could just like walk through the world, and stuff would happen to me. Like normally, you drive places because you're going to do missions, but there's so much detail in the NPC interactions and stuff that like, if you walked through it, you'd uh, it would really feel like being there, and um, that would take me days and days to do. So there's plenty of value out of taking GT to the island with me for sure. Fantastic. Okay, so we're gonna move on from one juggernaut of gaming to another juggernaut of gaming. So let's listen to some music. Okay, Sam, next on your list is another huge, iconic game in gaming. Developed and published by Bethesda, The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. The action RPG that was released worldwide on November 11th, 2011. The fifth entry in the famous Elder Scrolls series that was directed by Fallout 3 director Todd Howard. Sam, why Skyrim? It was a really hard choice. Um, I knew I'd have to take one Bethesda RPG with me, like... um you've just you've got to have that with you there's just so much value in those games you can do those quests again and again um 
by pick Skyrim because actually the the one the most recent like Elder uh, Bethesda game that I've not played as much as the others. So like um, I really exhausted Fallout Three and Fallout Four, but okay. I pick. I picked Skyrim because uh, I've played it for like 50 hours, but I've not like played it for a 200 hours as it were. So yeah. I could just, uh, I could just start again and, um, and do all of that stuff again. Like enough time has passed for it to all feel fresh again. Cause obviously it came out like, um, I think five years ago this year. Yes. And, uh, but the, my main end game with taking this was like the, uh, was the, the mods, uh, the mod stuff going on on PC. I was going um, to say, I wondered if you'd considered the mod community because for anyone who doesn't know, which I would be surprised, Skyrim is still one of the highest played games on Steam. It has such a big user base, and that is basically because of the mod community. You can almost do anything in Skyrim at the moment on PC. Yeah, like if you want to have Thomas the Tank Engine, like uh, <laughs> just like terrifyingly appear over the horizon, um, <laughs> then that's a thing you can do. If you want to have Carl Pilkington as a companion, you know, with the audio clips spliced into the game, then. <laughs> Uh, you can, um, but even things like they've, they've people have built entirely new locations, like underground cities and mm. um, deserts, and and they'll and they'll keep doing so for years and years. So like, there's an infinite amount of game there, and and Fallout Four will get to the same point, but um, it'll take a long time. And the other thing is that I I find Elder Scrolls a bit more optimistic than the Fallout games, and I think if you're on an island and you want to stop yourself from being really sad, you should not necessarily play a game where people have their skin ripped off by nuclear bombs and uh, uh you know and, okay. and cities get like cities get blown up in terrible disasters yeah. and uh yeah so elder scrolls while it's got like you know dragons and uh mammoths and stuff out there to, to kill you it's a uh, i don't know it's an oddly optimistic uh series you, you get that just from the 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 world music you know it's uh it's a it's a cheerful game in a lot of ways and um yeah i never yeah, really can... thought of it that way but when you're walking along and you're sort of just traipsing through the various cities it the music is quite almost whimsical it does have like a kind of slow flute theme to it and you're just walking through snow and trudging along or you're on your horse and you're climbing sideways up a mountain it's almost almost goofy in comparison to like fallout yeah for sure um while still having it sort of like share of quite uh you know, quests that are scary, um, that are uh, exciting, uh, that are really weird and funny. Like it's, uh, it, it crosses the whole, whole tonal range. Um, whereas Fallout is very sort of like, there's there's funny bits in it, but it's, it's a very specific uh, world they try and build there. Yeah. Um, whereas Skyrim just feels like a world of possibility, and like with the mod stuff as well, you can build all the houses and stuff that you'd want in uh, that you can do in Fallout Four within the game systems. You can actually do you know um yourself using the mods and so it really i really would never run out of game there and um and that would that would for sure keep me going Uh, it's just it's just really really cool and like um just the way you can customize sort of like dragons and the graphical effects and stuff like uh yeah uh what yeah what i think one of those things about bethesda games that i love so much is it's almost like you start one thing and then you end up just falling down the rabbit hole and, you, and one thing leads to another and another thing leads to another. And then all of a sudden you're strung along. And from where you've started to where you are like an hour and a half later is almost completely different. And you, you kind of like black out and just all these things happen to you and you end up somewhere completely different from where you started. Yeah, like um, I remember the quest we always used to talk about was the one where it's you like you wake up the hangover and you have to retrace all of your steps and um, yes. which which I think might be the one you're referring to. Yes, and like uh, 
yeah and, and that that sort of stuff that's just uh that's just so inventive you know and uh and so, and so much fun and like you could just you could just keep playing that and uh, the other thing is that if i'm on that island and i'm not interacting with people um skyrim is really good for letting you interact with people and shape the world and stuff so you'll still feel like you're getting feedback from the world you know okay um which i think i'd need as i'm gradually going insane with my bananas and coconuts on Kaholic <laughs> island um, too much super but... monkey ball <laughs> <laughs> yes yes i've played enough monkey tennis and i'm on the beach going mad but like um yeah it's just can... bananas everywhere <laughs> But if I can fight uh, Thomas the Tank Engine and uh, numerous other uh, kind of creatures and stuff, then that's you reckon uh, that's that really would cool. level your sanity? Don't you think it would help progress it further? <laughs> There's a well, giant possibly. Thomas the Tank Engine in front of me. I'm definitely not going insane. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, lo- I'm, I've, uh, I'm, I'm looking at a whole bunch of like stuff you can add to the game, and you can add like um, like skeleton warriors. Um, you know the giant scary crabs you can have like uh, humongous versions of like um, the existing creatures in the game so yeah. those kind of underwater things you can have like like honestly like godzilla sized versions of those and sure i'd be going gradually mad but like um it would just i don't know like uh, there's a real uh, there's a really a real excitement with skyrim mods where you install them and then you kind of wait for them to happen or you go to a place where you will see them happen and then when it does happen it's like there there are moments of wonder and in, in seeing that stuff and uh yeah i can't i can't see myself ever losing interest in it and also it's got really good sword combat in it and again like red alert i need to see buildings blow up on an island i'll just need to just need to kill people with a sword well, i was going to ask you about the combat actually because uh one of the largest criticisms that skyrim received was that its combat was kind of kind of wonky it was more like you just hit the buttons and you kind of flail a sword in front of you or you you know use you, you just keep firing magic towards something is is the combat something you like yeah, I, I kind of like it. I mean, I don't think it's like um, world class, but like it's uh, it's probably another thing I could change with mods actually. But like um, just having like you know fire in one hand and like sword in another, like uh, I don't know, it, it might not be the best combat system sort of like industry wide. But if you compare it to um, the combat system in Fallout Three or, or or Oblivion, they made some big they made some big leaps there. Um, so they, they're getting better each time, and the, the gun feels really good in Fallout Four. So you know the next elder scrolls game will probably nail the melee combat you know and it'll be uh it, they'll finally it'll finally reach the point where it's as good as everything else in the game but no i, I kind of like it i think it's uh i think it's all right um yeah well, as yeah. you said you could fix it with mods more than likely so yeah it's like uh, the other exciting stuff is like changing the weather in the game and like um you know um or, or adding new visual effects and stuff like it, well, it you really can definitely should. upgrade the graphics you can make it look as good as technology progresses anyway because people just keep adding like hd texture packs to it yeah i'd need someone to send me a new pc on my uh on my island you know it would just wash up on the beach one day like a new nvidia graphics card and yeah. then uh <laughs> oh, so we'll playing. have to we'll have to get the rule book out for that one i think <laughs> <laughs> i think my my interpretation of being on the island has gone way beyond like normal rational thought and straight into like fan fiction like uh <laughs> it is slowly becoming I... an island that you uh have quite a few a few too many home comforts <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure um and like uh and then yeah i think afterwards i'm going to write all this up into a, a story and then like put it on fanfiction.com and that'll be a <laughs> that'll be a thing that people can read which would be good um but no like um i i think uh yeah there's skyrim is kind of one of those games that tries to do everything really and um yeah yeah you could just you could just keep playing it and playing it and it's just just a wonderful level of craft to it like um uh, on, uh, when you had Simon Miller on, he picked uh, Oblivion, which is uh, his favorite game, and 
he played it relentlessly. But like, um, I think the the upgrades you get in like uh, variety in Skyrim and like um, even the Radiant Quest system, while the quests aren't necessarily that interesting, you've you've theoretically got infinite things to do. And um, yeah, uh, you know, how could I not take that with me? Well, exactly. It's one of those games where you kind of build your own story as well. You, yeah, for sure. You just sort of stumble across NPCs and you you kind of mess with them a little bit, or you could you try and get a reaction out of them and see what happens. There's so many there's so many cogs at work in Skyrim that you can just sort of pick at one and then it all falls apart a little bit and you kind of just see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, there's, there's stuff I've just never done in the quest in that game um, that you'd get from a second playthrough. And like, uh, I'd love to just like do more uh, things I never do when I'm playing these games myself is uh, I never just go to a town and like kill a dude and just see what happens. When well, that, yeah, that's what I mean about the cogs working. It's like they work in a certain way, but if you take one of them away, what happens? It's definitely one of those games where you try and experiment with your surroundings and there, there is like preset rules. Like you go into a town, don't kill anyone. Otherwise the whole town will come after you and you'll be thrown in prison or you'll get killed and that kind of thing. It's like, but what if I just like set this dude on fire and see what happens <laughs> yeah for sure like um that's what i love about Bethesda's games they're, they're proper sort of systems driven interesting games and like um you want you don't want things to be repeatable uh necessarily when you're on a desert island you want to see new stuff all the time and like exactly, um yeah yeah and that's a game that's absolutely capable of doing it and i've got another uh couple of games like that so uh yeah i look forward to talking about them it's gonna be good fantastic okay so we're going to move on to your next game which is a game andy kelly picked last week as well so if you listened last week you might know what game is coming next so let's listen to some music some fantastic music i may add Okay, Sam, so your next game is Animal Crossing New Leaf, same as what Andy Kelly, your colleague, picked last week. It's developed by Nintendo's EAD team and was produced by Katsuya Eguchi, and it was released in the West of June 2014. Sam, why is uh, Animal Crossing? Is it one of those games that you can play forever? Yeah, that is one of the reasons, but um, I, I absolutely adore Animal Crossing, and like, um, I, I, I played Wild World a hell of a lot uh, when I was in college, and like... Um, in fact, I, I think there was one day where I just played Animal Crossing in real time, and that was my entire day. I just had my <laughs> DS chip plugged in for that entire day just playing it. And I think I had like a 30-minute break to play Phoenix Wright, which was the other game I bought uh, for my DS at launch. And um, Yeah. Yeah, and, but that was it. And like, uh, I, think, I think the tone of it is just perfect. Like, um, it's really cutesy, but it's written with a degree of irony for sure, like, uh, or at least it's uh, translated that way. And um, it feels kind of knowing and... Uh, the characters you meet in it are 
very well formed. Like um, if I say, you know, Blathers, everyone knows who Blathers is and has like a an idea in their head of what that character is about. And like uh, the thing, the thing about it is, is like if you're on an island, um, again, you're just going to need interaction uh, of some kind. And in that, you can send gifts to people. You can write them horrible letters if you want. You can hit them <laughs> with bug nets. You can make them have new catchphrases. Um, there's many, many different ways to interact with the other residents, and I, I, it's it's a really rich game for that. Um, and the thing I thought about actually is uh, my mum talks about how much she loves Coronation Street, the long-running British soap opera. Okay. Um, about uh, a town near Manchester, I think, and like yeah. um, she and I always she always told me uh, she liked it because it was like a little gang of friends in that program, and I always thought that was incredibly sad. Um, as I was like, just get some, get some real friends, man. That's just really, that's quite embarrassing. <laughs> but then I thought about it, and that's, you know, I have, <laughs> I have friends in real life, thankfully. But like, um, I, it, that's probably the reason that I and a lot of people like Animal Crossing is because all those little dudes in that town they feel like your mates, you know. And so there's a there's a comfort to just turning it on and going in that world and interacting with them. Um, and that's absolutely like key to Animal Crossing's appeal, I think. And, it is one uh, of those games. It's one of those games that's very hard to explain to people what's great about it. When on the surface you look at it and you're like, "Hmm, some birds, some dogs, some beavers, some raccoons, and they all look kind of cute. Why? Why on earth would you play this game?" But hmm. as you said, there's this depth to the whole game is driven by you almost pleasing people in your town or the people that surround you and the way you interact with them. Yeah, and like um, like every Nintendo game, like the interactions are all world class. You know, the controls feel great, and it's just really nice to play a character in that space. So even though the activities you're doing are really sedate, it's really fun to fish in that world. It's really fun to shake a tree looking for you know money or to dig. Like um, those are all pleasing interactions. They feel good. There's a nice sense of feedback, and Nintendo's better better at that than anyone else. And like um, yeah, I I I I love that about it. it the other thing is that you can. You can be as in-depth with it as you want. Like, I remember when I was on Games TM, I, I, I thought about writing, like, um, just this, re- this like, really grim uh, Patrick Bateman-style diary about how I went around <laughs> how I went around my town, like, hitting people with bug nets and stuff. And, yeah. like, um, and it was... <laughs> and I, I wrote the whole thing out, and then I thought, I can't publish this, and I just threw it in the bin. But, like, it was... Um, I, I Just, like, uh, I always thought, like, when I was running the town, I always felt like I was Tony Soprano or something. And then, like, um, Isabel was, like, my my hood, where she'll go take care of animals who I think are misbehaving. And I'll, um, <laughs> you know, I'll maintain my tight grip of control on the town. And, like, um, it's not really about that. But you, th- there are ne- negative interactions in the game. Like, you can hit animals with bug nets, and you can get Isabel to tell people off. And it's not an accident there in the game. Like, um, they give you the full range of emotions in there. And I think they do that. That's a very deliberate choice, like... Th- that there is a there is a, a touch of darkness to Animal Crossing there if you want it. There is definitely you... something there that, like most video games, you you start off with the best intentions to be able to keep up with everything, but you end up sort of neglecting some things and forgetting about some things, and you don't pay as much attention as you did when you started the game, especially in a game like Animal Crossing where you play for multiple hours. But the people who made Animal Crossing know this, and that's why you kind of get punished for almost neglecting some characters in game you may like have a few favorites that you always double check on every day but there'll be some that you kind of get lost to the wayside that you forget about and then one day they'll just be gone yeah and it's because you left them yeah that's the thing like uh 
I don't know, the thing in life as well is that like um, friends are always coming and going, you know, that's the thing you, you learn in your twenties, I think like yeah. um, not to get too sort of like emotional op-ed about this, but like uh, that's... <laughs> animal crossing, dealing with the hard hitting things. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you want, uh, I, I think I found in my, uh, in my twenties is I uh, like uh, that sort of like, is like a mild uh, sort of desperation to, to want to keep all of your old groups of friends together, but they all scatter. It just happens yeah. no matter what, because people grow up, they have families, they move away or whatever. And, Animal Crossing is as much about that. Like it's, um, you know, people come and go. Even the animals you really like, and you know, you can ask them to stay, but they won't. It won't always work, and they can they can just move on and and be gone like that. And uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's a very it's a very it's an oddly powerful game. It seems very subdued, but I think there's a there's a lot of texture there. And um, yeah, on on a desert island, I, I think being able to check in on the community every day and to have those experiences like that will help me keep madness at bay again. Um, yeah. It's really funny because yeah. you're the only person so far who's thought about keeping your sanity on an island or what actually being in isolation would, at, you know, bring upon yourself. You know, your mental state would change and you'd <laughs> start to become, a, you know, crazy and go all Wilson <laughs> on this island. And I think it almost to the to the wonderfulness of video games that they can bring you these almost human interactions sometimes and they can make you feel you know love and happiness and uh a sadness just because you're interacting with characters in a certain way yeah for sure and like um <clears throat> and like uh i think i'd be more i think i'd be less like um uh, you know having the wilson situation as i'd become like this weird colonel kurtz character who'd be sat on <laughs> I'd be sat on top of the the windfish egg um, with all of these sort of like that crocodile guy from Link's Awakening and the owl like <laughs> in my kingdom, the, my kingdom of madness, and uh, that would be my that would be my my, my go to like crazy Mowgli, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with all yeah, the animal sure. friends. <laughs> <laughs> but like um, the other thing is that there's if you just think of it in game design terms, there's there's a lot of like long tail stuff in Animal Crossing. Like I've I've still never really had the money to make any major renovations to the town or to add the props and stuff. Yeah, because I've still just been paying off my mortgage to to the tyrant Tom Nook. I was going to um, say Andy likes <laughs> Tom Nook. How do you feel about Mister <laughs> Tom Nook? I like him more in this one because he's less of a dick about paying your mortgage. Um, <laughs> but I, I take Andy's points on board about him being quite. Uh, you know altruistic in in some ways because he you know he he does you know, he builds real estate no questions asked and just asks that you pay back at your own leisure with no uh, with no added interest rates or anything like that um and certainly yeah he's better in this one because you can build you build your upgrades and then then you've got all those optional ones so he stops you know attaching wings onto your house and it's like hey you owe me a million bells now um <laughs> it's more it's more his uh the the more disturbing thing is what is him poisoning his nephew's minds with the same like rabid capitalism um so you go in there and they're like please buy something and i'm like jesus he got them started from a young age didn't they um timmy and tommy or whatever they're called yeah uh yeah so i don't, I don't know that i'm more worried about um you know there's that philip larkin quote man hands uh hands on misery to man and like i think that that's what tom nook's done there you know he's poisoned his nephews with capitalism and uh <laughs> and i'm worried about it you know um but no, I, I I love I love that whole world so much. Like um I I remember in Wild World one of the things I loved was I think it's maybe Sable in the um in the clothes shop where Oh yes, she's, yes. Yeah, she's silent at first. Like she doesn't say anything and then gradually you learn about her background with her sister and stuff and 
you know, there was a, there's a, it's just, you know, like a bit of a touching backstory there. Like, um, mm. again, you're basically interacting with soft toys, but the writing is so sort of delicate and well, well localized that there's like a, there are little arcs that play out, you know? Um, yeah. And as you become greater friends with the, the animals, the, their interactions towards you change. And like, uh, I think it's a very clever game with just so much going on, you know? Yeah, well, there's a great story from Bill Trinan, the head of localization at Nintendo America, about when they first got Animal Crossing in for localization and they got it in and they were like what is this what is this game with these animals and they started delving into the japanese text and what each character was trying to say and there was a lot of puns and a lot of basis off how japanese people perceive animals and how they think like a cat would be personality wise or and that kind of thing and they were and they started and they just couldn't stop playing and they were like this is a game that we have to localize and we have to release it's just going to be so big and obviously it has been it sold yeah. so many copies worldwide and it's mostly because of the interactions people have with these cutesy toy animals that you say yeah i um i i yeah for sure i think i might have met bill Trinidad actually um, oh yeah I, yeah i think he might have been the guy who uh translated my interview with sakurai at e3 2013 i think that was him that more um, than likely is possible oh fantastic yeah, yeah it was cool like uh yeah, and it's just great. He he's clearly extremely passionate about what they do too, and like um, their localization teams are obviously like world class. Their yeah. games are just genuinely funny, you know. Mm. Um, I imagine the process differs quite vastly depending on the uh, depending on the type of game they're they're, they're doing. Um, some require more work than others, but yeah. particularly with uh, particularly with Animal Crossing, I'd be fascinated to know um, the song that Capin sings when he's taking you across the water to the island, like. I'd love to know what that literally translates as from the original <laughs> Japanese version. I'm sure there's um, something somewhere where you could find that out. Yeah, no, I, I'd like to. I'd like to learn that for sure. Um, but yeah, no, that was that was such a good call. I mean, Nintendo is really good at bringing games, uh, you know, to the West now. Anyway, like I think Mother Three is the last big one that people want, and it sounds like yeah. they're going to do that soon. Anyway, so let's, let's, yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah, actually, for sure. I no, actually I, spoke to Clyde Mandolin, the guy who fan translated Mother Three for the famous uh, ROM hack uh, a few yeah. years ago. I spoke to him recently, actually, about how he's feeling about this these rumors, and I wondered if he was attached to them. And he said that he doesn't know, and he actually hopes that they come true. So, like all of us, uh, fingers crossed, because Mother yeah, Three be is absolutely superb. For the really hardcore fans, that would be interesting to uh, to see Nintendo's version of that localization versus the fan one. Like, and yeah. to make up their minds about which they prefer, that would be an interesting conversation. But yeah. Um, so no. my last question on Animal Crossing for you is: you 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 want New Leaf, but you keep referring back to Wild World. Why have you chosen New Leaf over Wild World? Well, the truth is that New Leaf is is just a lot more going on because obviously there's more processing power in the 3ds, but. Yeah. The other thing is, I mentioned Wild World because I've played it a lot more than New Leaf because I, it came out at a time where I didn't have a job. You know, I was in college and I had nothing but time to waste. And now time is very precious. So even stealing like an hour for Animal Crossing at the moment is really hard to do. Um, you know, when there's a, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in the job. And like, yeah. uh, if I was on an island, I'd have a lot more time to invest in it. And I'm sure I could, I'm sure there's more below the surface that I could just, that I just come across from playing it more and more but I've just not had the time to invest in, in the same way. So that's why many of my frames of reference uh, are that because I, I, I play that to death and, uh, and yeah, a new leaf I've only played for about I think 40 hours or something like that um, okay. over three years. So 
yeah but on a desert island i'd get i'd get deep into it and uh i've exhausted wild world for every cool thing in it so uh yeah that would that would be the one for sure okay fantastic okay so we're going to move on now from the world of cutesy animals to the world of spartan soldiers so let's listen to some music Okay, Sam, so the next game on your list and the penultimate game on your deserted island from Link's Awakening is the HD remake of Bungie's magnum opus Halo Combat Evolved Anniversary Edition. Developed yes. by 343 Studios and released on November 15th, 2011 worldwide, it's the complete rework of the original game built from the ground up by 343 for the 10th anniversary of the series. Sam, please tell me why Halo Combat Evolved Anniversary Edition is on your list. Oh, I absolutely, I absolutely adore the original Halo game. I think it's still the best one in terms of single player, um, without question. Like, uh, Halo Three has better moments in it. Um, there's like a, there's a fight with uh, two giant creatures. Uh, so creatures, I guess. Uh, no, they're creatures. They might be vehicles. Yeah, vehicles called scarabs. Um, in oh yeah, uh, yeah, the, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yes. Yeah, in the level of the Covenant, which is mm. like a full on. It's like a full on battlefield. There's like it's like uh, you know on the ground you see loads of tanks going around and like buggies and stuff and then in the sky you see aircraft fighting it out and when you arrive you can choose to be in like a tank or like an aircraft you can go down on foot and like oh that's really cool but um the original halo has just got such a good balance of stuff in it like um it starts in like this you know in these corridor levels and then it gradually opens up into this sort of sandbox shooter um and it's one of the very few games where I would like revert to the last checkpoint just to see how something might play out if I went in in a different way. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, because like you know, it can be. Let's say you come across a hunter in Halo, which is one of the um, the the big enemies uh, that you know can kill you in like a couple of shots. Like um, you know, you can you can wear it down with like the assault rifle, the basic machine gun in the game. But it's also really fun to try and kill it with like melee attacks, you know, or try and attach a grenade to it. Yeah. Um, and Halo was one of the first games uh, where that, that had that sort of like um, cool kind of like interaction um, with uh, with characters where different stuff could happen. Like it was a it was a true sandbox game in a lot of ways. And uh, yeah, I still think the original is the best at it. Like um, Assault on the Control Room and Two Betrayals are the most open levels in it. And 
you know, they're full on epics where you get into you get into vehicles and and all these different uh, fights play out in battlefields. And there's just so many different ways to finish them. Like um, I must have completed this game about 20 times when I was younger. Um, like I, I could play it forever for sure. And, well, that's what uh, I was going to say. Most people would pick Halo for the multiplayer. The obvious Halo is iconic for its multiplayer. But you seem to be convinced that you could get alone on the single player. Yeah, I'm just not. I'm not much of a multiplayer guy, really. Um, when it comes to first-person shooters, I just hate being spawn sniped. You know, I hate you know losing because of like lag. And uh, to be honest, I'm a sore loser as well. Like I'm just a really, <laughs> I'm a really bad loser and an incredibly irritating winner. So like it's just bad for all involved. You know, either way, either I'm emotionally scarred or everyone else is. So, I was, uh, was going to say yeah. maybe best to stay away from the multiplayer. Well, to be <laughs> fair, if you're stuck on a deserted island. No one can see you win and no one can see you lose. So maybe it would be okay. Yeah. And like, um, you do, I think you do get Halo 3's multiplayer with Anniversary Edition anyway. But to be honest, I came into this expecting that there'd be no internet connection on the island. So even if I didn't have that, the single player would be enough to sustain me, I think. Like, um, I wouldn't play it all the time, but it's, uh, it's, I'd play it a lot for sure. Like, uh, it's just, it's just a beautifully made game and it's actually got quite a good story, the first one too um whereas i think the other ones suffer from having too much law going on and yeah well i think that's one of the things i was explaining because my girlfriend was asking me the other day when i was talking about your list specifically and i was saying that halo was on there and she was like why do people like halo and i was like well the multiplayer is one of the main aspects of why people like halo but for me personally very much like yourself i think i have a guilty pleasure for the story i think it's a good sci-fi story overall Mm. yeah and particularly that first one where like um you know, you're in this giant, uh, like the cruiser, the pillar of autumn. And then, yeah. you know, and then gradually, like every single person on that ship dies. So at the <laughs> end, you're the only survivor, you know, you escape on that, uh, on that, <laughs> on that, on that ship. Um, yeah. the one that was meant to pick you up gets blown up in the last level. You get to that escape point, what you think is the escape point, And then it's destroyed, which is an amazing moment. And then you have to go to another escape point and escape and drive and drive yourself out of there. And like, um, things like the it's very aliens inspired obviously um but like uh the captain keys being turned into a flood thing when you see his face like in the side Mm. of like one of those pod things like that and then you he like punches through it to get the uh the chip out of there master chief punches just through this like green fleshy thing uh (laughs) to what what, to what was this character who you've been talking to the whole game like Mm. it's uh there's nothing that good in the other halo game stories to me like it's all it's all nonsense from there on in. I hated the Covenant all having posh English accents. That just annoyed me. And like, um, yeah, just, and then... Did, then, did you then not like uh, Reach? Did you not like Reach? I thought Reach was a very, very good game for the single yeah. player. Yeah, I did like that, actually. And like, um, I was, uh, maybe maybe you thought about this, but did you wonder if the last bit where you, you're just there on the planet as your helmet cracks and you fight yeah. until yeah until the day. Did you maybe think that was inspired by Crisis Cause finale? Because that has a very similar idea. Oh where... my god, I've never even thought about it. It's never even crossed my mind because they're such opposite franchises. I never even thought, but I can see what you're getting at. I can definitely see it. Yeah, there's a commonality in those two games where you you know what the ending is like. Um, you know Zack's going to die in Crisis Core. Yeah, because you know Reach is going to fall, seven. yeah. Yeah, and so, and so the, as the player, you're put in this situation where you know you're going to die, but you've just got to hold out for as long as you can. Yeah, you like, just keep that's... going and going and going, and, and you can go on forever, but you're never going to win. Yeah, and uh, like Crisis Core had a... I thought Crisis Core's version of that was brilliant, and like... um 
And yeah, I th- and I thought Reaches was just so similar that I thought they mu- someone must have played that game and thought that's a perfect idea because that's it's such a similar idea yeah. with a, a similar kind of premise and like uh, yeah, it's it, it's wonderful. It works great in both cases. Like um, yes, it yeah, does. And yeah. I, I think Reach does probably have the best story of the, all of the Halo games because um, that starts out as just you're just investigating some facility or something. And yeah. Then it's, um, you're Suddenly just a squad that is checking out something and all of a sudden you figure out there's aliens and you get ambushed by the Covenant and all hell yeah. breaks loose. Yeah, for sure. No, it's it's really good. Uh oh yeah, it's it's, it's it'd be a toss up, but the, the original I just I think it's probably a bit of a nostalgia factor for the original. Yeah. And like um and the guns the guns still feel so good in the original. Bungie's always been good at gun feel. Like the uh oh, the shotgun in Halo just feels wonderful. Um, and the, the way like the physics interact with like the rocket launcher, you know, if you fire yeah. like a rocket at the side of a warthog and just watching it flip, like all of that stuff. I love Destiny, but I wish Destiny had more of that kind of like sandboxy fun um, interactions with characters and environments. I, it has has good gun feel, but it doesn't have the same sort of floaty fun sandboxy stuff. Yeah, um, that's I never has. got into. I played the alpha for Destiny and then I played the beta. And yeah. I was really excited because I my guilty pleasure is Halo. In any in video gaming across all boards, my guilty pleasure is Halo. I I do really have a soft spot for that series, and I always play the multiplayer. And I always play the single player, and I one of the reasons is because it feels so good, as you said, the controls and the physics and everything just work on multiple levels perfectly. And mm. I expected the same from Destiny, and I just didn't get the feedback from the character and the controller the way I did with Halo and it felt very alien to mm. almost pun it up. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think it, I think they might get closer to that stuff in like uh, sequels. It sounds like those games are a hell of a difficult thing to make based on the um, Kotaku stories that were kind oh, of yeah, to Jason Schreier's uh, long article about how Destiny was built. And Which was a truly, a truly excellent bit of games journalism for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, with world class access, but like, um, it just painted a sad story. I think they said something like it takes over, it takes like a overnight for them to compile the game when they put anything new in it or even move an object. And I was like, oh my god, how are they creating new content without going insane? Like, yeah, um, that, that sounds like games development. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> yeah, sounds like they're on a. So a bit let of me a... ask you then. Well, obviously, with Halo now being in the hands of three four three, which does have some of the original Halo team and. Uh, you know, it has Frank Kyle Connor as the director. How how have you have you played Halo Four and Halo Five? Have you liked because obviously you've chosen the anniversary edition, which was developed by Three Four Three. How have you felt yeah. about Halo Four and Halo Five? Well, the the, the stuff Three Four Three did for the um, for the anniversary edition, I assume, were just porting the maps from the original Halo into multiplayer and doing the facelift for the. Um, for the new version yeah uh, which you know so there's there's very, relatively little sort of like changes they make um but i didn't like halo 4 at all unfortunately like uh i thought the gunplay still felt good but i didn't like the new enemy types they created um yeah, that ball thin. thing yeah that ball thing that angel thing and that dog thing like i didn't, I didn't <laughs> they just with all glowy they, orange bits sticking out of them yeah like they just didn't feel like um they were of a piece like the hunter and the um you know the the elites and the grunts do in halo like they are that's a perfect like three tier of enemy there um and like they i just don't think the the, the uh yeah the the forerunner stuff had that and like um i i thought the levels were just it didn't have the same pace as halo like it really had quite significant moments of downturn and they're not particularly exciting set pieces like felt like there was a lot of plodding and um missed opportunities to do big fun set pieces there's just nothing 
I don't know. I, I can't really remember much from Halo 4, but I just remember being mega disappointed, even though it's a glorious looking game. And uh, yeah, there's, there's good things about it for sure. How do so, you feel about it? Um, With Halo 4, it was one of those things I was very excited to play, mostly because I wanted to play the multiplayer. Um, And I picked it up and I liked their design. I like that science fiction technology weird creation aspect that makes up that i like the the whole part that they break apart i don't know if you've ever played metal gear rising yeah no i love that game I love yeah that. well there's a boss in that that he like breaks apart and he puts himself back together and that kind of thing i really like that kind of design where like people can like break themselves apart and almost put themselves back together and mm. um but as you said the story felt a bit flat the it didn't feel important almost felt just like oh we have to make something up where there's the, the these new players in town and we have to add them in some way so it, it feels fresh uh it was a good looking game uh, multiplayer wise it was okay the maps were a little bit weak in comparison to games that came before um but yeah it wasn't a bad game it just wasn't a good halo game in comparison yeah like so, uh, I, I agree yeah yeah so how did you I've, feel about five then have you played five because i have not played five no i don't have an xbox one and like um so I, i've got no i've got no real intentions of playing it uh anytime soon but what i hear about the multiplayer in that does sound quite cool um like uh the card stuff sounds like it's been fairly well implemented and the forge mode sounds like it's been it's having some like really cool stuff made for it in this one okay um but people are telling me that the storyline is like the worst they've ever done. Like it's it's it lasts for six hours, and people were saying they'd give it like six out of ten to me, and I'm like, no Halo story mode should get a six out of ten. That's like, what that's... I heard as well. I heard that because you are it, it, the marketing behind the game was this huge. Who will you choose, Locke or Master Chief? This mm. like almost epic storytelling of like Master Chief gone rogue, traitor, but then. You play Master Chief for maybe like one hour and then the rest of the game you're playing is Spot and Lock. And mm. it just does the the two stories don't really they don't cohesively go together very well and they're very almost alien from each other and it doesn't really make sense. That's what I yeah. heard about the story. Yeah, and like the bits they showed off at E three I thought with it like looked like scripted like Call of Duty set pieces and I just thought it looked like it just looked rubbish and like uh yeah, I don't know. I, I honestly if I was making a Halo game every single one of those levels would be a loose story that connects these giant combat sandboxes. So you'd have like, you know, you'd get within like 10 minutes, you'd get to like, uh, just, you know, a warthog, you'd be in a warthog and there, there would be covenant fighting UNSC in this battlefield. And, and, um, you know, a whole bunch of other guys joining you and like loads of different weapons scattered around. And yeah. then it would build up to these bigger and bigger set pieces in like the sky and like you know i'd do like a space set piece from reach again but with like more sandboxy elements like maybe you could land on a spaceship and oh i forgot get about the space bit that was so good yeah yeah and like and, and then i'd you know build up to like a some kind of like four scarab like 20 tank like proper war going on even if it pared <laughs> down the graphics just to make it happen like <laughs> I, that's what i want from a halo game i want i want it to be just like a full-on war where yeah. like um, I can just play a set piece again and again and again. I can hit, hit keep hitting a reset checkpoint and having good experiences. And like they just don't they don't seem that interested in doing like sandbox tutory stuff. They they've got all this. They they obsessed with this boring story they've got to tell. And 
you know, it's it's up to Microsoft what they do. And like, um, I, I was, I've met some of the people working on um, Halo, Halo uh, four and five. Like, I went to three four three in two thousand twelve, and they're a really cool, talented bunch of people. And like, um, you know, what what they want to do is up to them. But like, it's just not quite for me. It's not quite the Halo that I love. You know. Okay, that's that's yeah. totally fair enough. There was almost this change of direction. Um, mm. They wanted to. Well, fair enough. They wanted to tell their own story. They had all this lore and all this stuff created by Bungie that they had to, you know, integrate into their own story. They but they they wanted to be different. You know, that's fair enough. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I, I but, but the, that first game, I could just keep playing it and playing it. Uh, it's a, a still a fantastic shooter for sure. Fantastic. Okay, so we're gonna finally move onto your last game, and it is the most recent game to be released in your list, and it is quite the epic as well. So let's listen to some music. Okay, Sam, so your final game on your deserted island from Link's Awakening is the epic swan song by famed game director Hideo Kojima, creator of the Metal Gear franchise, developed by the now disbanded Kojima Productions and published by Konami, released worldwide on September 1st, 2015 for PS4, Xbox One and PC. It's Metal Gear Solid V, The Phantom Pain. Sam, please tell me why Metal Gear Solid V. I... I absolutely love um, Metal Gear Solid Five, uh, but I love it the least for the fact that it's a Metal Gear sequel, um, and I think a lot of people felt that way. Like the the story stuff is so is almost non-existent in this one that it's um, that, that it takes a little while to move past that. But once you do, you realise that you're playing one of the best sandbox games ever made. Like it's a, a proper systems-driven action stealth game where you have so much uh such a high degree of self-expression as a player so much you can do in that battlefield you can call in helicopters airstrikes um you can have a dog with you or a sniper or you know like a mech you can get in vehicles uh you know you can equip you know all kinds of different guns like rifles grenade launchers rocket launchers it's it's just like it's complete freedom of approach it's the it's the you know the magnum opus the, the dream stealth game the game that kojima i think always wanted to make like yeah uh something that absolutely trashes any attempt to make anything like that before <laughs> like it's it's a it's a it's a world-class uh you know world dominating game i think it's uh, a truly classy piece of work um i absolutely adore it and I, I think i could just play it endlessly on this island for sure like uh no mission plays out the same twice 
um, because uh, barring a few boss battles, this and the op- the uh, prologue and epilogue, there's nothing in it that's actually scripted. Um, so different stuff will just inevitably happen. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's an extraordinary game. Well, I'm glad so far you haven't said anything about the story because personally, I haven't finished it yet. Mm. I am a huge fan of Metal Gear Solid and the Metal Gear franchise. It's one of my favorite game iconic series and Metal Gear Solid 3 is one of my favorite games of all time and features, you know, Big Boss himself and I was looking forward so much to Metal Gear Solid 5. It's one of my most anticipated games of all time and I love it and I think what you explained about the whole freedom, almost freedom of expression, you can as a gamer your playstyle can go into this game no matter what. Like if you play passively where you like lay traps down or you sort of sneak your way through everything. And then if you want to go like guns blazing and fire rockets and airstrikes and all these kind of epic explosions, you can do that as well. But yeah. for me, frustratingly, some of the the ways the game wants you to interact with it, like doesn't make sense to me sometimes like timed tank missions and um just frustrating missions like that have stopped me from finishing it i love it but i haven't gone back to it yet because of other games i've been playing but missions like that almost block me from the immersion that the game allows because it almost allows so much freedom on top of its story which is almost non-existent in some places yeah like um i should say that i i love the metal gear series as well and like um (laughs) I think th- I think three three was on my first version of this list actually. Okay. Um, yeah, but I I I, I thought oh, I should probably just take one of three and five and like I've played three a lot and uh, yeah I just have to try and remember it uh, in the in my in the small hours of living on my crazy Zelda island uh, with my <laughs> owl and my uh, and my alligator. But like um, I I just uh, I I I I, love, I think three's got a legit good story as well. Oh, um, it's like amazing! The- I love that game. I think that story is heartbreakingly undervalued. I think. Yeah, because people are the, such the the common thing with Kojima is people to just um, to kick his games for the cutscenes being too long. Yeah, um, but the cutscenes are not that long in that game. The voice acting is world class, and like the script is is lean and tells like a a really good story about losing faith in like your country and uh you know being ch- your beliefs being challenged and like it's uh oh it's 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 truly world class and yeah. uh well i've always had I... a soft spot for like cold war era uh espionage and that kind of thing and metal gear 3 metal gear solid 3 is so good at portraying that era and the the almost tensions between you know, Soviet Russia and the Allied West that, oh, it's, it keeps you going and it keeps adding yeah. new elements to the story that make you want to keep going. Oh, I love it. I think it's fantastic. Oh, I completely agree. And and like, um, you know, it, it was a close thing for sure. But like, um, I think that the, the story stuff I love about five is the stuff that you create yourself. Like, um, okay. Like just, just from how, like, uh, when I think about that game, I um, and I think about the story, I I I tend to think more about like sitting with um, like uh, being raiding this army base, it going really wrong, and having to run and hide on top of this barracks, just sat there with D- patting D Dog, um, like whilst like <laughs> mechs and like uh, tanks and guys and like there's an alarm going off and they're all closing in, 
and this is me patting my dog for like reassurance like it's gonna be okay boy and then i just put i put like i put friday i'm in love by the cure onto the radio and like i airdrop in a grenade launch and i'm like right we're gonna we're gonna get out of this we're gonna survive this um you know that we we the, the story does not end here we are not doing this mission again we're gonna get out of this base alive um and and you know i did and like it was uh it was just a it's just properly empowering and it can create moments like that all the time you know and like um i guess the thing is i i I really do think that you know i think the quiet character design is just terrible in in that game for sure and it's really gaudy and lame that there's unnecessarily yeah but like um almost yeah for sure but like uh, i i i do think there's uh a player created bond with that character you have from being out in the field um much yeah. the same with um with d-dog not to compare your relationship with a human to a dog but um <laughs> both that, of them don't whole... talk so it's fine yeah it's that whole like uh you know you've seen shit together like um yeah. you're forged by the stuff that you 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 know that happens to you in that game and it's not yeah. the same stuff that happens to other players and like what you lose from the mgs series in terms of like scripted narrative in that game and you lose a lot because the scripted story in there is terrible i think um really really bad uh and uh a couple of really clever themes aside and some stuff i really like that i won't talk about because it's a bit spoilery um it's uh it's you just have to you have to live with the fact that Kashima's just moved on from that like he he made mgs4 and that was his that was his last concession to old metal gear like his his all of these cutscenes, an absolute ton of them um every last bit of lore you could want but then you know peace walker aside i'm out like it's a new thing now like i've got a new snake you know new voice actors um and like it's it's just i was gonna say how do you feel about jack bauer uh, I thought he was just rubbish. Uh, actually, no, not rubbish. He was just, he was just okay. Um, but he didn't really he have much power. to say. So, yeah, and it feels like you can't, you don't work out, can't work out if that's a deliberate creative choice or if they just couldn't afford um, Kiefer Sutherland for more than a few days because I'm sure he's very expensive. But, yeah. um, but uh, yeah, he just feels your snake feels largely anonymous in that game. Um, he doesn't really feel like he's, you know, uh, infused with the same experiences. Yeah, that I think that's done. one of the other things that sort of added to my disappointment in five no uh, disappointment i think it's one of the things i I get so i when i pitch a metal gear i pitch a big boss specifically Mm. big boss from metal gear solid three i love metal gear solid one and two and i love solid snake but i i bonded more with big boss and his story that to see him come and I, i really enjoyed peace walker as well um to see it come to this end almost where he doesn't talk and he's this almost new person yeah do, me, do, do not the, cool do you know, the really the the thing about it that bothered me is that like i'd understand if um it was like they were recasting a character from like the ps1 era who was like a bit embarrassing but i, I genuinely think david hater was one of the first great voice actors he in is video one games. of the most iconic voice actors in the business and he is a good voice actor as well sometimes yeah. some of the lines he's had to say are corny or a bit hammy but he himself performs them very well yeah, like, um, and you know, he's, he's, I remember just that, that character being instantly iconic in the first Metal Gear. And then, like, um, in the third one, it's genuinely like nuanced performance. Like, it's, uh, you know, there's, there's, it's the growl, sure, but there are like yeah. real, 
suggestions of emotion within it. And like, I thought if you can have, why would you, the thing that really bothered me is they recast him, but they kept the same voice actors for like, uh, for Huey, for example. Yeah. Um, and like, uh, and they had a different voice actor for Ocelot. And I just, it just smacks of random decision-making. Well, they had I, Troy I Baker was... for Ocelot, didn't they? So they were catching yeah. in on the, the big, the big voice at the moment, which is Troy Baker. And he's very talented. Um, but it's why not just get the original Ocelot? He was really good as well. Like, uh, yeah. it's, it just seems completely random. Why would you get Christopher Randolph to play, this character that he's played forever, but then recast the rest. Like that really bothered me. I think, I think the story stuff's all pretty bad. in in, uh, in that one, but I do really like, yeah, like I say, I, I like the prologue and I like the epilogue, but like, um, I won't go into reasons why, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> <Thank you. it's>, uh... <laughs> Usually this is a spoiler. Okay. Podcast. <laughs> but yes. For me personally, no. I'm going to shut it down. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it, and it's a really long game. So I don't expect everyone's gone through it. I mean, I, I reviewed it for PC gamer and I gave it uh 93% and it was our game of the year. And yes. Like, I was um... going to say it was PC gamer last year, game of the year, which is superb for a game that is built up on console. Well, it's funny because we were talking about it a lot, and we it's but it's it's actually like a very um, if you think about the kind of games that it's inspired by, like um, like I think there's a Far Cry influence in there, um, you know, armor, like the, these really sort of sandboxy military games. Like yeah. I, I think that I think that's pure PC, and that that was what led us to um, to making that that call. It wasn't even like a tough conversation. Like it was there was there was The Witcher as well. Um, that's that was my game. biggest surprise because I played The Witcher Three on PC, and that was my game of the year last year. And like you know, that's a, that's a great game for sure. But like mm. um, Metal Gear, just feels like like everything about sandbox and action games coming together at once in a way that that is completely world class and potentially game changing. Like yeah. I, 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 going back to like something like Assassin's Creed Syndicate out of uh, after coming off Metal Gear. And like, there are no systems there, no interesting ways to play with the AI. This combat system where you press like two buttons to do everything, and like the world's beautifully made. But like Metal Gear makes you Metal Gear Solid Five makes you want other games to to step their game up um, and to reach that level and to give you that sort of like freedom of expression. Like yeah, and and games aren't at that point yet. But I'm hoping that MGS Five will be so influential that that we'll see more of that. Um, I think a lot of people be, yeah. will definitely be looking around. And being like, no wonder Assassin's Creed is taking a break this year because the the open world games between The Witcher Three and Metal Gear Solid Five, even like Fallout Four, were woefully understanded for how good the open world was in both those games. Yeah, uh, for sure. And like, um, in in that sense, it can only be a good thing for the industry. And I I, I love yeah. that um, it's Kojima's last Metal Gear as well. I love that he he went out doing that. Like. Um, it was like critics who peg him as like uh, you know a guy who relies on cutscenes and stuff. He was like, no, well, I'm going to make a game that's just pure gameplay, yeah. and it's going to it's going to wipe the floor with everything else on this planet. And and I, I love that he did that, and I love that he punched out after that. Um, and there <laughs> I was going to ask you, how do you feel about the uh, how do you feel about Kojima's next project with uh, Sony and PlayStation, and now he's on his own to basically let his wildest dreams be realized in video game form well i i i think that's exciting but i'm really sad he didn't get to finish silent hills because oh okay yeah well that's the game well thing. dice has just happened this weekend and kojima and guillermo del toro and norman reedus have all been photographed together who knows who knows yeah but like i, I just uh I love that um, 
that PT by being deleted has become this mythical thing. Like yeah. it's already like a, an extraordinary game where people were finding new things like uh, a year after it came out. But like, yeah. I, I love the idea that the game like it, it got it got it got deleted and I, I really hope people find a way to emulate it in future so it's not impossible to play in 20 years because it's a, a wonderful artifact but i love that that kind of added to the mystique of his leaving i was gonna you say know? it's it one like... of uh, modern gaming's most uh strange stories but also interesting there's yeah like so it... much at work around what happened with pt you know it had this big actor from the walking dead norman reedus and it had Guillermo yeah. del Toro, one of, you know, film's most inventive creators. And then it had Hideo Kojima, which is, you know, video games. And they were all coming together to create this yeah. scary game. And the demo was released to no one knowing what the fuck it was until people figured out the ending. And then mm. you got the Silent Hills announcement. It's just so yeah. mysterious and so cool at the same time. Yeah, and like the the parallels between uh, the thing is like with Kojima is like you're never sure what's intentional or what isn't. But the parallels between MGS Five, where if you think of Ground Zeroes, where you see Skullface erasing the um, the Fox logo, yeah. uh, like it's it's you know, and then the game, the MGS Five. This isn't really a spoiler, but it's about it's about language and like um, uh, and like uh, Skullface is kind of like obsessed with a you know. Um, basically the the power of language and yeah and what it does and and eliminating it and uh this sort of stuff and then like and then kojima's departure what do they do they they wipe out kojima productions as an entity it gets absorbed into konami yeah. they delete pt from the playstation store and so they remove no one his name it. from the box yeah they, they remove his name from the box and like um you know everything is stripped back and like taken away and like mgs5 parallels that so well but he can't possibly have known that was going to happen, surely. And like, but the the parallels are just eerie, I think. Um, but I, but I think I think I'm I'm really glad that he's he's gone elsewhere because uh, I think I think he should step away from Metal Gear and see what else he can do, see what other universes he can build. Because yeah, yeah um, and and so I'm I'm sure. Um, like I I I, I'm, I was disappointed in what Konami did, but I'm sure Konami will try and make another one of those games as good as that as well. So if if the end result of it is you get a new Kojima uh, game that's got like loads and loads of money and people behind it, but also uh, a Metal Gear sequel that builds on some of those ideas, even if it's not quite as creator driven as five, then yeah. you've, you've basically, the gamers have won out in a, in a lot of ways because they get both of those games. Um, so yeah, it's, it's ultimately, I think worked out for the best, but it's um, very true. Well, I can't imagine an announcement for a new Metal Gear game going down very well. No, but that's not to say like um, you know not everyone has left uh, Konami to go that's to go true. with Kojima, and a lot of people made that game. You know, like um, maybe they'll bring was... David Hayter back. Yeah, maybe. You know, um, I don't see why they shouldn't. I mean, he was just incredibly good. But um, yeah, like I'd love to see a sequel where like there's a you can you're playing in like an abandoned city or something. You know, like um, I want to see what happens if you take those systems from MGS Five, but add some just a few new enemies and put it in a new place and. You know, maybe add some verticality to levels, or yeah. Uh, yeah, just like you know, different tundra. Like maybe you could do make it more of a survival thing when you're in the you're in the ice, like in um, you know, like the original game, and you've got to maintain your body temperature and stuff. Like uh, I don't know, like uh, I, I, there's so many different directions they could take those ideas in. So I hope it's not the end for um, Metal Gear because uh, even if the story stuff sort of like a bit of a washout at this point, the game, the systems that he set up in that game, like uh, they're there to be built upon for years and years. I think. 
Well, only time will tell, that's for sure. Mm, yeah, for sure. Okay. But a tr- yeah. Yeah. So, sorry, Sam. <laughs> Carry on, please. No, I was just gonna say it's just a true masterpiece. Like, uh, yeah. I, I've, I've, yeah, and uh, this, this, uh, when it comes to the desert island, there's a lot of, pro- there's a lot of uh, progression in it. So, like, um, you know, you just you get more and more stuff. So, the Fulton yeah. balloon thing, the last upgrade for that is you can use the balloons anywhere, even indoors, and it pulls like soldiers through a portal in time and space and sends them back <laughs> to your base. And like that starts as just putting, you know, that the beginning of that is you just put a dog on a balloon and it flies off. And then it, I love that it builds up to that. Like uh, there's plenty of reasons to keep playing. It's a brilliant game. Awesome. Fantastic. And it's a game I will be definitely going back to this year to finish. That's for sure. Cool. Well, okay, Sam, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your time and your wisdom about video games with me and your list. It's so fantastic. Oh, thanks, man. Thank you for having me on. I've uh, really, really enjoyed uh, just talking about these games. And uh, yeah, it's a great podcast and I look forward to seeing who you get in future for sure. Oh, thank you. Okay. So as you know, as you're a fan of the show, the last question that I ask is what console you would, if you could choose any console with the back catalog included, what console would you choose? Can I take a PC? and emulate every game that's ever been made on GameCube, PS2. Oh, <laughs> oh my. Oh, this is... Um, yeah. Oh, I, can I allow this? I don't know, because to get those emulations and to download those ROMs, you would have to have access to the internet, and you could be sneakily downloading Google Chrome and sending SOS signals <laughs> out. <laughs> Help, I'm stuck on the island from Zelda. Please save me. <laughs> Who is this crazy person? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll send an email to my office. Andy, send it to Andy Kelly. Andy, can you can you uh, find out where this island is and send help? Um, no, like, I, I, I suppose the other thing is on PC, like, the back catalog is massive because of Steam, but, like, um, you'd need an internet connection to uh, to use it. So I suppose yeah. I should pick an off- I'll pick an off- offline console, too. Okay. Um, I would take an Xbox 360. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I love I love the PS2, um, but like uh, Xbox 360 gets you the MGS HD collection, you know, um, gets you Red Dead, it gets you uh, GTA's four and five, uh, Ellen Noir, like uh, whole whole generations of games I absolutely love. So um, yeah, yeah, it have it have to be a 360 for sure. Okay, well maybe as you are the editor of the aforementioned PC gamer, you might be able to have a PC, but you wouldn't be able to upgrade <laughs> it because no one can yes. send you any parts. But if not, you can have the Xbox 360. That cool. is allowed. That's no problem. Okay. Good stuff. That's <laughs> so, good. That's good. Yes. Sam, thank you so much, as I said, for coming on. You are someone who is very positive and passionate about video games, and I absolutely love that. And your list has been very interesting for me as I've played all the games on your list as well. So thank you very much for that. That makes my job easier as well. <laughs> <laughs> No, I appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me on again. Much no appreciated. problem. Would you like to say anything or would you like to tell people about PC Gamer and where they can find you or about PC Gamer Weekender, which is coming up soon? Yeah, sure. So um, like uh, if you go to PCGamer.com, like our, our website, there's a, a whole bunch of cool stuff on there. It's uh, updated every day. And like um, we've got some really good writers on the UK and US side, like uh, just a truly amazing world-class team of people. Uh, and our, our magazine is uh, out every month um, in UK and US uh, stores uh and like uh we try every month to make it into a real kind of like uh like a collector's piece so people you know like having on the shelves and yeah flicking through it years later like we try and make something that people really you know can really love um 
owning and so that's cool um yeah and like uh, everything else we work on you'll find on our facebook page and uh at pcgamer.com so yeah yeah cool it's fantastic you should definitely invest in pc gamer magazine if you haven't already it is a super magazine this has been episode six of final games i'm your host liam edwards and you can contact me at final games show on twitter or at liam bme or if you would like to email the show you can email us at final games podcast at gmail.com also if you are on itunes you can search for the podcast final games and you can give it like a rating if you like it or if you don't like it and even a review if you wanted to all those kind of things do help out with the show getting some more i don't know spotlight or something someone tells me numbers do good things so thank you very much for listening and i hope you'll join me next time thank you to sam and we'll see you again soon goodbye Welcome back to Final Games. Uh, we have a little bit of an extra bit, as Sam told me after we finished recording that he actually met Hideo Kojima and he had a cool story to tell. So for anyone still listening, you're going to have a nice little additional bit with this episode. So Sam, please tell me about the time you met Hideo Kojima. Yeah, so I I, um, I went to the Metal Gear Solid 4 review event in Paris um, in 2008. And like uh, it was uh, April and uh, we didn't, I mean, I think I knew Kajim was going to be there, but we didn't know if we were going to get interviews with him or not um, because every like member of the press in the world was pretty much there. Everyone, I think there was someone from like Zoo Magazine there, for example, like it was, you know, really quite charged. It was like a two day event and people were powering through the game at different pace. And um, Kajim was actually just walking around the room, just watching people play. Oh, really? Which I thought was interesting. Yeah. I was really, I was really nervous because I think he, I might be misremembering this, but I think he walked past me in the bit in, um, shadow moses in mgs4 where you've got to try and you've got to uh inject vamp i think with that that, that oh that boss fight where you have like a split screen yes and yeah. uh, but I, I i think it might just be the bit before that but you're meant to fight vamp then inject him but unless you're paying attention in the cutscenes, like it's you don't know that's what you're meant to do and loads of people got stuck on it because obviously <laughs> there's no no one knows how to beat this game so um I, I, I was really worried i was just like performing terribly when he was walking around watching <laughs> us play but um i did get to interview him which was great um like it was a it was there was like one other outlet there but um it was in his suite in this in the paris grand hotel which was he honestly had like a house within the hotel like Jeez. it had its own sort of staircase and two two floors um and uh ken uh imaizumi was there as well who's the producer on mgs4 yeah um and his translator, whose name I can't remember, it might be Aki Saito, I think. I okay. couldn't, uh, I'm I not sure. I'm not um, sure. But um, it's, it was a long time ago. But like, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, 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 he was really nice. But the worst possible thing that could happen um, during the interview happened. And my phone started ringing. And like, it was a really obnoxiously loud ringtone. And it was like, it was actually Konami's rep saying, we've got to go because we're going to miss the plane. 
and like I was in the middle of this interview that I'd wanted to do my entire life you know <laughs> and like I was like and the phone rang and I, I I disconnected the phone the phone call immediately and they started calling again I was like oh my god this is so embarrassing and like you know had about five or ten minutes left with him and then eventually the PR just came running into the to the suite and went we've got to go we've got to go and I had to leave in the middle of my interview um but he was so nice about it. Like he, uh, he got up and bowed when I left and, uh, I thought that was just so, so nice, but like, um, Oh God, it was like, it was weird. Cause <laughs> I, I was, I was, I was 19 at the time. Right. Like it was my 20th birthday, like that Friday. And oh wow, t- just, just two years before, Oh no, like a year before, like in 2000, uh, I, no, no, it's like 2006. I was, I was playing MGS three and just listening to the Kashima productions podcast. And, then like I had I if you'd have told me then that two years later I'd get to meet Kojima and it would be in this amazing situation and he'd be so nice and you know it was mind-blowing like honestly one of the the best coolest and weirdest experiences another one where it seems like traumatic at the time but yeah. later on it's actually quite funny and good <laughs> to tell on a podcast yeah but... in hindsight it's absolutely perfectly fine and the and the thing is that the flight was delayed by three hours anyway it already been delayed so they interrupted my interview for nothing which was really annoying but um yeah i've never got to meet him again but getting to meet him that one time was just like truly special you know he's a amazing creator that is really cool that's my story that is really cool that's (laughs) really cool one of those things now that you have to go and complete the interview and see see if he remembers i hope one day because his new game is apparently come to pc as well as ps4 so maybe i'll get the chance that'll be that'll be the one where i i i take it over my staff (laughs) (laughs) editor power is kicking in (laughs) (laughs) yeah i've got i've got to do this one this is uh this one's mine sorry um (laughs) sorry guys uh, it's me (laughs) (laughs) uh but no yeah it was uh it was a really cool and weird experience that that whole event but um yeah yeah that's my story that is superb. I love stories like that. It's fantastic. Well, you can just tell him that you gave Metal Gear Solid Five PC Gamer Game of the Year, and then I'm sure, I'm sure he can work something out for you. <laughs> he did retweet. Uh, re- he did retweet the, uh, the the post we did on the website about that. So um, hopefully he did see it, which is uh, which is cool. Well, there you go. There's your in. There's your in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah fantastic well once again thank you sam thank you so much for the show and thank you for this little additional story yeah no worries man thanks for having me no problem thank you guys goodbye